this is Chad Breckenridge from Cisco. I'm in the legal department at Cisco where I manage the company's global communications regulation. And I am on the ACB radio today with great pleasure to talk a bit about Cisco's new 8800 model desktop phone. Uh, this is the first business or enterprise level phone that is accessible for blind and low vision users. And rather than just talk about it myself, I've got a distinguished panel of people on, w with me on the, uh, in this interview to talk over what the phone can do and how we got where we are. Um, I'll identify them quickly and then they can all introduce themselves as they start uh, chatting with me here in a bit. The first is going to be Jim Brazier. He's the product manager for Endpoints at Cisco and Jim and his team are largely responsible for all the work that's gone into making the, the 8800 model phone accessible. Uh, then we have Eric Bridges, I expect known to many of you, the executive director of ACB. We also have uh, Tony Stevens, who's the director of advocacy for ACB. And finally, Kim Charlson, president of ACB and also the executive director of the, the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library. Uh, I expect many of you are familiar with several of those names, maybe not as familiar with Jim, who I'm going to turn to first here to, to learn a little bit about how the, how the accessibility features of the phone came about. So Jim, let me start by uh, first asking you to introduce yourself and then explain a little bit about what your team has done to make the, the 8800 model phone accessible. Thanks, Chad. Uh, as Chad stated, my name is Jim Brazier. I'm a product manager at Cisco for the endpoints team. Uh, one of the things I own is accessibility for the endpoints. Uh, so what we've done here is we've enabled voice feedback on Cisco phones. Uh, we've added a text-speech engine on the phone. When you turn voice feedback on, the voice the, the phone will provide announcements for certain interactions. It'll read out uh, settings. It'll announce caller ID for incoming calls. It'll announce call history so you can walk through your call history and figure out who called you, missed calls, placed calls, received calls. It'll announce key presses on the phone. So when you're touching the buttons on the phone, it'll make announcements telling you here's the functionality that you're executing or that you're about to ex execute. All of this is done local to the phone, uh, and it can be turned on and off as needed just by tapping a button. Fantastic. Is it, are, there, are there other controls that users can enable to sort of customize the experience for themselves? Yeah, you have the ability to uh, control your voice playback speed. Um, we have five speeds ranging from your standard playback speed up to a very fast playback speed and a lower playback speed. Fantastic. And how did you how did you and your team do this from an engineering perspective? And I, you know, speaking just for myself, I don't think I'm going to understand much of if you get too far down into the weeds. But at a high level, what what did it take to do this? So what we did is we took an open source text to speech engine, uh, implemented on the phone. So whatever is being displayed on the phone uh, on on your display, we're taking that feeding into the text to speech engine, and it's playing that voice feedback out. Uh, to whatever the chosen audio path is you're using. If you're on a handset, it'll play that uh, voice feedback out to the handset. If you're in speakerphone mode, it'll play it out to the speaker. Fantastic. And how did, so this is for the 8800, um, and it's not just for new phone purchases. Is that right? That's correct. So the only series of phones we support this on is the 8800 series of phones, 800 desktop phones. Um, we released a version of software in March, our 12.1 release. Uh, this is enabled in the 12.1 release. 
So anybody who has a 8800 series phone now or anyone who purchases an 8800 series phone in, in the future, if they upload, upgrade that device to 12.1 or any load we do in the, in the future, in the future, uh, they'll be able to turn this on. It can be turned on and off as needed. It's, it's not automatically turned on. A uh, user has to turn it on to enable it, and the user can turn it off when they want to disable it. Fantastic. And what, if you say just a bit about the language capabilities, I know you're focusing on getting English pinned down now, but what, what's the plan in, for other languages? We currently support English only. Uh, we're exploring what we can do to support other languages. That's in our roadmap. I don't have a time frame for it yet. There's some, some investigation work we have to do there, but it's certainly something we're exploring and would like to support in the future. Fantastic. So Eric, I'm going to turn it over to you. You probably don't need to introduce yourself, but please do anyway if you don't mind. I and mean, after you've done that, um, I, I'd love to get a little color from you about the, the experience of working with, with the Cisco team that was developing the phones for the kind of feedback you and your team were able to provide. Sure. Well, I'm Eric Bridges. I'm the executive director of ACB, and I've been with the organization for about 11 years. And uh, it was really about, about a year ago we got together with Cisco to try and, and solve a, a historic problem that uh, blind folks in the workplace have had since really the beginning of, of uh, digital phones, and that is being able to use uh, a phone in the same way that a sighted colleague would use a phone. Uh, so the, you know, the, the blind community had very just basic rudimentary access to phones, and in particular in the, in the enterprise environment. And so we approached Cisco to, to, to figure out if there was a way to solve this problem. And uh, we actually had a really productive meeting in July of last year in Dallas to talk through what we thought a solution could, could look like and sort of what Cisco thought the capability of their phones um, you know, had in terms of being able to, to solve for this, this ongoing challenge. And, uh, you know, we, we want to, you know, our, our goal is to have equal access to the, to the features of the phone because the phone is something that sits at everybody's desk. Um, and it's, it can be a barrier. It can be a barrier to entry-level employment, um, and a, a, a real barrier to certain levels of independence in the workplace as well. So, you know, the, the sort of talking through text-to-speech uh, and text-to-speech engines, uh, being able to utilize the same phone that our sighted colleagues use, uh, but have the accessibility come through in some fashion, be it a, you know, a software push, um, was something that, that that we desired, and Cisco went and investigated, um, and uh, turned out that that this sort of solution was able to to happen, and we've been very pleased with the end result. Terrific, Eric. Thank you, hey, uh, Kim. I'm going to ask a, a similar question to you. I know that that Perkins was involved in some of the the testing and in providing feedback to to Jim and his team. Can you describe that a little bit, sort of the, 
the, the experience you had with the, the test models and um, so how, that, how that's grown from there? Sure. Well, after Jim and his team did the, the hard work, which was, you know, making this, you know, come to, to reality, um, they needed a, a location where there was a Cisco system up and running with the potential of several people who are blind or visually impaired in that office environment so we could um, install, you know, put in the, the 8800 series phones and actually um, give, use them and give um, Jim's team feedback on the different features, how they were working. And so we started from kind of uh, ground one back um, the beginning of 2018 before the March update to the 8800 series phone was released, um, just using the functionality of the phone and giving his team feedback. So there's two types of, of things that we evaluated, and one was certainly the, the physical buttons that exist on the 8800 series phones, such as mute and hold and transfer and conference and, um, of course, the keypad and the volume control and things like that. And then there's a, a series of other buttons at the bottom of the display screen that are traditionally called soft buttons. And those have been the ones that have challenged blind employees in the work environment for decades because, you know, if you're if the phone's hung up, it does one thing with those soft buttons, and if you pick it up and you're on a call, it's some other function. And we couldn't tell because we couldn't access the screen, you know, what what functionality we had, and it restricted the usability of most of these um, digital phones. So um, my team that consists of here at Perkins at the library, we have five blind employees and one low vision person who uses screen magnification. And we provided, um, you know, user feedback, um, things we liked, things we didn't like, things we thought needed to be you know, modified in some way. Um, and it was, uh, it was a very productive experience for us and certainly, um, and hopefully for um, the Cisco team that, made the changes and all the different engineers involved across the different divisions that were involved because it was Jim's team, but then there's there's also hardware engineers and software engineers and accessibility engineers, and a lot of people um, made this happen. But, you know, now I can, I can reach out for this phone. I can check my missed calls independently. I can look at the directory and see, you know, what what names are there? I can I can do conference calls myself, which um, I was thrilled about because I, I do a lot of conference calls and I can set them up myself now. I don't have to ask for assistance from another colleague, and that's huge to me, allowing me to have that independence to to do conference calls or transfer a call when I need to and not ask for help. So it's uh, it's been huge, and the phone works phenomenally well um, and you know the the word is out there and we've gotten you know lots of calls from people asking us you know how does it does it really work I can assure you it really works so it really um, is accessible 
I think I heard from Jim a, a, a story about one of the pieces of feedback that you and your team provided, which was that um, when a call is coming in and the phone audibly announces the name of the caller, the original setup, it would just do that endlessly. You know, whether or not you wanted to pick up, if you decided it was a call you didn't want to take, it would nonetheless just keep on repeating that name, drilling it into your brain. And I think your team, correct me if I'm wrong, I think your team explained that like, that's actually becomes annoying <laughs> pretty quickly. Exactly. Maybe, if you, if you happen to answer, that's right. Twice, is, twice announcing the name is good enough. We don't have to hear it seven times. So that, that was one of the <laughs> modifications they made right away. So I think we, we are, we're wrapping up our, our time here. If any of you have a, a, a last comment, I'll invite you to make it. And if not, I'd like to thank you all and thank you to the folks who are listening for, for listening in. And I hope you very much enjoy the... the Hello, everyone. I'm talking today with Ellen Strom from J.P. Morgan Chase, one of the sponsors of the 2018 ACB Conference and Convention. Hello, Ellen. Hi, Janine. And today we are going to talk a little bit about what J.P. Morgan Chase is bringing to the convention. But first, I would love to find out, Ellen, how do you get feedback on the products that you design? So there are basically two ways that we go about doing this. We do it with customer research and we do it with customer complaints. So we actually have a group within our design team that focuses on user research. And my team, which is called ECAT or Electronic Communications Accessibility Team, our center of excellence works with the research team to add people with disabilities to their research studies. We want to hear what works and what, and what doesn't work for this customer segment. We want to make sure that our product designs are as inclusive as possible. We're also coordinating user studies at conferences like ACB so we can hear from your membership and incorporate your feedback into our products as well. And then, unfortunately, we get customer complaints. And anything that is that impacts one of our sites, chase.com or one of our mobile apps like Chase Mobile, comes to my team and we research it. We try to duplicate what the customer's experience was so that we can determine, do we just need to give some information? Do we need to explain how to accomplish what you're trying to do? Because maybe you can't, you know, maybe they couldn't figure out how to navigate to a site. Maybe it wasn't as findable as it should be. Uh, Do we need to provide a workaround while we fix an issue that is in production? Or do we need to work with product and design teams to improve the overall customer experience? So those are the two ways we do it. And with the wide range of products that Chase has, how do you make sure that those products work with accessible technology and adaptive equipment? So we, we do it in a lot of ways. Probably the most important that we have found is getting accessibility into all areas of our project. We want to make it, you know, we want to move it as far left in the project life cycle as possible so that at the planning stages, accessibility is being thought about. We want all roles who are involved in planning, designing, building, and testing digital content to understand how their role impacts the accessibility of our products. 
We've incorporated accessibility checkpoints throughout the project life cycle so we can make sure it's happening. We also have a report that helps us manage this. It shows us where it's working, where it's not, so that we know which resources might need a little bit of additional training. We also have a comprehensive accessibility methodology. So we feel that a strong testing program combines the use of test tools and code inspection with the use of end-user devices, techniques, assistive technology. So we make sure we're using screen readers. We make sure that we're tabbing through the site and that it works for somebody who can't use a mouse. We also have an accessibility page that's available from our public site. Uh, it's just called Accessibility, and it talks more about our commitment to accessibility. It includes our software recommendations for the best user experience on our sites and our mobile apps. In these days of everyone, you know, creating some wonderful, wonderfully visual digital content, uh, how do you make sure that everyone who creates that digital content understands their responsibilities? So we really strive for self-sufficiency. ECAT has created a knowledge base and a training program for each role. It's a mix of e-learning and instructor-led training courses. Because there's so much to learn, we feel it's important that it's specifically geared towards each role's because it's better absorbed when it focuses on what each person needs to know and that the training can be taken at each person's preferred pace. They might prefer e-learning. They might prefer checklists. They might prefer videos. So we try to make it available in different ways so that they can do it in the, you know, in their preferred way. We also have accessibility leads who are available for our project teams so that the project teams can ask questions and get answers at the most important time when they're actually trying to do the work. This is all very exciting. So what are you going to be bringing to the ACB convention? And what what is your favorite part? Because uh, Chase has been a part of our convention now for several years. So what's, what's your favorite part of the convention? So we're absolutely thrilled to be there doing some user research. So hopefully, people, you know, we know we have filled all of our, our slots for it. So we hope to see a lot of people and to get a lot of great feedback. We have been coming to the ACB conference, my team specifically, for three years. And we think it gets better every year. We love working with the team that coordinates the conference. They're very responsive and very helpful. We love interacting with the membership and hearing their personal stories and experiences. It really keeps us motivated and wanting to do more. Well, thank you so much, Ellen Strom from J.P. Morgan Chase. And we thank Chase for being a sponsor of the 2018 ACB Conference and Convention. Ellen, could you give us the accessibility website again? It's chase.com backslash accessibility. Okay, good morning, everybody. We are live once again. Day two of the general sessions. Sunday, July 1st, 2018. And we are at the Union Station Hotel here in St. Louis, Missouri. 
Pre-entertainment this morning, John Weedlick from St. Louis, Missouri. And I'll go ahead and bring up the house and allow uh, you to hear him a bit. And then Kim will be here underway uh, at 8.30 with the uh, start of the general session.
I'll hear locker prompts and instructions about how to pick up or return my
the American Council of the Blind conference and convention is about to begin. Please take your seats. Thank you. ACB Gateway to Success Conference and Convention. Please welcome back ACB President Kim Charlson. Good morning, ACB. Good morning. And welcome to our listeners on ACB Radio. Hey, hello. <laughs> All right. I want to thank um, John Weedlick for his pre-session entertainment. Thank you, John, for that wonderful music. All right, and to, uh, to begin our day, I want to recognize Denny Huff, the president of the Missouri Council of the Blind, for our invocation. Good morning. Good morning. While I have the microphone, I'm going to take liberty uh, do, and do something I forgot to do last night, and that is to introduce our host committee. Uh, you know, it takes more than just a few people to put something like this together. ACB, of course, has Janet and Rhonda and Kim, but MCB has a, a host committee, uh, and I want to name them Mike and Sherry Keller and Peggy Smith, Naomi Sewell, and Chris Gray. Did I, did I forget somebody? 
Oh. Jaswita. <laughs> Our committee chair, Jaswita Tabor. I don't think there was a day that went by this past year that she didn't call me at least twice. But uh, she's, a, she's a marvel. She really is. Let's give all of them a big hand, please. All right. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning and start out this day, we just ask for your blessings on it. We ask for safety, uh, Lord, for guidance, for wisdom. Lord, that we will learn something today and that we'll be able to take it back with us and share it with our local people back home. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity today to get together and bring all this knowledge together and all the wisdom that these people from around the country can bring to us. Watch over us, keep us safe, and bring us back again tomorrow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right. Now, for those of you who are able, please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance, presented this morning by three of our J.P. Morgan Leadership Fellows, Michael Talley from Alabama, Debbie Rozier from Pennsylvania, and Marie Brinas from Virginia. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. That was last night. <laughs> and the night before. <laughs> All right. In case anybody wondered, you may be seated. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. It's uh, always an honor and a privilege to recognize our, our Texas whirlwind advertising and sponsorship coordinator, Marjorie Beeman, for um, her announcements. Thank you, Madam President. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Just making sure you're awake. Okay, we have a bunch of sponsors, so pay attention. Double Diamond sponsor, Ara Educational Recreational Events. General Motors, Transportation Services, and Continuing Education Units. Google, ACB Radio Worldwide Broadcast. Microsoft, ACB Conference Banquet. Vanda Pharmaceutical, Audio Visual Services, and Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. Give them a hand. <laughs> Diamond Sponsors, Verizon, Oath Conference Communications, Center and Marketplace. Give them a hand. Emerald Sponsors, Cisco Systems, Volunteer Services, Comcast, 
your day at the convention, Tuesday, well, Tuesday, July the 3rd, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, Exhibit Hall, Sprint, Information Desk, Uber, Conference Registration. Give them a hand. All right. <laughs> we need an Uber to get through this hotel. Ruby sponsors Adobe, ACB Scholarship Mentoring Program, AT&T, ACB Cafe, Amazon, Audio Description, Project Conference and Training Institute, Charter, Interpreter Services for Deaf-Blind Attendees, Facebook, ACB Auction and Performing Arts Showcase, HIMSS, ACB Workshop and Seminar Programming, and Future ACB Leaders and Young Professionals, Humanware, official sponsor of all general sessions, Regal Cinema, Kids Explorer Club, and ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, VFO, official conference program. Give them a hand. Onyx sponsors, Buell Fund, ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk and Recreation Zone, Cox Communications, Audio Describe Movie and sponsor a student future ACB leader or young professional, Mackler Degeneration Foundation, ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, National Association of Broadcasters, General Operating Expenses, National Industries for the Blind, ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. Give them a hand. Topaz sponsors, ACB Lions Scholarship Winner Travel. Give them a hand. Yeah, roar. Give them a roar. Give them a roar. Coral sponsors, Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America. Reception for Outstanding Blind Students, Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired San Francisco, General Session, July 2. Give them a hand. Pearl Sponsors, Amtrak, ACB Cafe Day, July 2. Library Users of America, NLS Talking Book Narrator, Lighthouse for... The Blind of Seattle, Orientation Dinner for Outstanding Blind Students, Maxiade, ACB Cafe Day, July 1. Give them a hand. Those are our regular sponsors, and as we go along the week, I will give you a total to keep you in suspense so you don't miss a morning session. Okay, titanium sponsors, this is where individuals could... Uh, Contribute, Laney Feingold, in memory of Sue Amateur, Marlena Lieberg, and Ken Metz, and these are our 500 Titanium sponsors, Fred Shugart, and Douglas Slotton. Give them a hand. All right. Platinum, which is 250. We have Dennis Am Amadon, Marjorie Beeman, Richard Bird, Linda Dadarian, Naomi Graves, Nina Kagan, Jim Crotz, uh, John McCann, Harvey Miller, Herbert Brito, and Frank Ventura. Give them a hand. It is never too late to contribute. 
So I'm looking for your name for tomorrow. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. For our first um, Double Diamond sponsor presentation this morning, it's, it's my pleasure to recognize our friends from Google. And um, different from the program, Eve Anderson will be here, um, I think, later today. But Austin Hertel is here to make a brief presentation on behalf of Google, Mountain View, California. Austin? Good morning, everybody. I have to admit, I'm still on California time. I got in late last night, so uh, still waiting for my coffee to kick in, so kind of bear with me. A little louder? How about now? There. Great. So um, thank you for the introduction. I'm Austin. I'm a program manager on the accessibility engineering team at Google. And uh, I personally work on a lot of uh, initiatives that cut across Google focusing on education and awareness for the thousands of engineers and designers and program managers and product managers that touch our product. So um, it's interesting for me. I actually went to school just down the streets. Uh, I went to St. Louis U, so I've been catching up with, uh, yeah, Billikens. <laughs> All right. But I've been catching up with a lot of family and friends and old classmates, and I keep getting the question of, you know, why does Google care about accessibility? What is Google doing for people with disabilities? And uh, the short version is, you know, of course we care, and it's baked right into our mission statements. Um, uh, Some of you may know our mission statement is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and usable. So accessibility is built right into our mission statement. Uh, The team I'm on, Accessibility Engineering, We take that as our marching orders, and we kind of break it into two parts. Uh, A big part is, of course, making sure that Google products are accessible across the board. And another part of that is using our unique position as leaders in the technology field to bring together all the different pieces and trends in technology like machine learning and AI and computer vision to make sure that uh, we're able to innovate in the space and actually make a a dent in, uh, in accessibility. And really empower people with disabilities is, is what it's all about. So I thought today I'd give you my own perspective on how we go about kind of educating our engineers and making sure that everyone who touches accessibility and is responsible for designing products uh, is educated and aware of, of accessibility. Uh, so we actually have a pretty well-defined program for education. Uh, anybody who starts at Google uh, is required to do a mandatory accessibility training. Uh, This is for engineers, this is for product designers, this is for uh, program managers, and anybody on the engineering side is required to go through accessibility training and orientation within the first couple weeks. Um, They even look at code, they use assistive technology, Uh, they listen from and learn from accessibility experts, and so it's a great way to start uh, thinking about accessibility from the very first time they ever touch code at Google. Um, After that, uh, we also have an ongoing suite of accessibility trainings, uh, well over a dozen courses from experts uh, that are available throughout the year, uh, literally around the globe, um, where they're offered on a recurring basis. And again, educate everybody from test engineers to web and mobile engineers to product managers to designers and UXers, uh, user experience researchers and designers. So um, very important uh, for everyone to uh, start thinking about accessibility from the very early stages. 
As we all know, it's, it's very difficult to fix accessibility at the end, uh, but it's very easy if you take into consideration accessibility from the very beginning. So um, lots of well-defined educational paths there. And uh, we also focus a lot on not only education, but hearing from many of you, many of our users. Uh, we have a dedicated team of accessibility researchers and designers who that's all they do is research and learn about accessibility and pass their learnings on to our product teams. Uh, we also conduct a lot of user research at conferences like this. Um, we've been to CSUN, we're here, we're at NFB, and many of these were off actually conducting UX research and hearing directly from our participants and uh, again, passing those learnings on to our product teams. Uh, so this is all great. Uh, it's it's uh, getting a lot of movements and a lot of attracting a lot of interest internally, but what's the output, right, of, of what is all this for? And where the rubber hits the road is our products. It's what we're putting out and what we're making available to all of you, to our end users. So to that end, uh, there's a handful of us here um, that are speaking to you and telling you all about uh, updates. As far as what's coming up later this afternoon, uh, my colleague Kieran, who works on, works on Search and Assistant, will be telling you a bit more about Home, uh, Google Home and the Google Assistant and some of the uh, capabilities there for accessibility users. Um, also, Kieran, uh, he's also working on Search as well, and we're rolling out a new Search uh, results page, a new experience for screen reader users, um, a little bit better heading layouts, and so accessibility users, will, uh, screen reader users will be, will be able to find uh, search results in a more logical and more lightweight way. Uh, after that, we'll be Roger Benz talking about G Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I think I'm awake now. I don't need coffee. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, after Kieran will be Roger Benz talking about G Suite. Some really exciting stuff uh, like increased Braille support in Sheets for Windows machines and uh, generally better interaction with Windows machines uh, for G Suite products. Um, also, we'll be talking about uh, Android and Chrome. Some really exciting updates in Android. Some of you may have heard about the Accessibility Suite. Um, and uh, also for Chrome, uh, a lot of exciting stuff, especially around Zoom. Uh, increased Zoom capabilities as well as a docked Zoom experience. And so definitely stick around this afternoon and tomorrow as well to hear more about our products. And just to wrap it up, um, so I've taken you from the education and awareness to the product launch phase, but we all know that's not the end, right? It, it continues after that. We need to offer ongoing supports and customer engagements and, and hear from our users and kind of start the, the process all over, over again of iterating and, and creating better products in the end. So... To that end, we have a couple big updates. Um, as some of you may have heard, we launched uh, a dedicated disability support team in January of this year. Uh, this is a team of trained accessibility and customer support experts who are on hand to answer any questions about accessibility or assistive tech use in regards to Google products. And the big news is that they are expanding to chat supports and scaling up the team and will be available for chats uh, starting July 9th, so next week. And finally uh, is our conference outreach. Um, a big piece of news to share there is that more interest than ever uh, from people working at Google in accessibility. Uh, earlier this year at CSUN, some of you may have heard of it, it's, they bill themselves as the, the country's largest assistive tech fair. But well over 100 Googlers were in attendance. Uh, we actually conducted UX research on site and had a great amount of feedback from our users and tons of interaction from our users too. So 
Um, I hope you have a bit, of, in, in conclusion, I hope you have a bit better idea of kind of the full cycle of accessibility and how seriously we take it at Google. And I hope some of you can make it to our other sessions uh, this afternoon and tomorrow. Thank you. Austin is amazingly tall. <laughs> I couldn't find the mic. It was so high up. <laughs> All right. Um, our next Double Diamond sponsor presentation is from General Motors. And to speak to us this morning is Harry Leitze, who is the executive um, director of the Emerging Technologies Division out of Washington, D.C. Welcome. Morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you for uh, welcoming us here into your conference. Uh, as you might have heard, my name is Harry Leitze. I'm the Executive Director of Emerging Technologies Policy at General Motors. It's great to be with uh, all of you here today. So when you look at uh, societal megatrends and how they're evolving, Cities and transportation today look a lot different than they did a few decades ago and even a few years ago. At this pivotal moment in time, companies like General Motors have the opportunity to combine our knowledge of manufacturing, Silicon Valley technology, and commitment to safety to provide new and innovative mobility solutions to more people. General Motors is committed to a future of zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. <laughs> Thank you. With the technology and the skills that we have, we can create vehicles that will save lives and reduce the number of crashes on our roadways and at the same time extend independence of mobility to many people. At General Motors, innovation, most notably innovation and safety, is in our DNA. From being the first company to introduce airbags to the launch of our OnStar service 20 years ago, we have transformed how the world moves, keeping safety at the center of everything we do. As we look to the future, we believe that a key technology for achieving our zero, zero, zero vision will be self-driving or autonomous vehicles. Mm. Thank you. So, so this is a new space. So let me explain by explain. Uh, let me explain how we plan to initially deploy these vehicles. First, General Motors plans to deploy self-driving vehicles in a ride-sharing network, similar to what you see today with Uber and Lyft. Deploying vehicles in a ride-share service, as opposed to selling vehicles to individual owners, has many safety and consumer benefits. Being, uh, doing so enables us to control, monitor, and service the vehicles, ensuring that they're properly maintained and deployed and enabling us to incorporate real-world learnings into future generations. A fleet approach also allows broader consumer 
interaction with the technology and provides a transportation solution that is available for all people, including people living with blindness. Additionally, we are committed to deploying vehicles with level four technology, which is the level as defined by the Society of Automotive Engineers, that means a vehicle is fully autonomous within a specific geofenced area. The driver will never have to take control of the vehicle within that domain. Finally, we are committed that all of our vehicles, our self-driving vehicles, will be electric vehicles. <laughs> Ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft today provide more mobility solutions to people living with disabilities and others who lack access to transportation options. We believe that shared electric and self-driving vehicles are the future of mobility and that it is critical for these solutions to be inclusive and to provide expanded opportunities for all users. At General Motors, we're committed to a culture of inclusion to better serve our customers, employees, and our community through innovation, talent enrichment, awareness, and outreach for people with disabilities and their allies. We're very fortunate to have an, extra, an excellent internal employee group at General Motors called GM Able that advises the company on how to make vehicles more helpful to people with disabilities, including recommendations on manufacturing, training, education, and testing. We focus on inclusive design, meaning designing cars that, with features for those who might otherwise be overlooked because of a disability. There are many design features in our everyday lives that were initially created for those with disabilities, including heated seats, hands-free trunk access, and sidewalk ramps. We've discovered that if you design with disabilities in mind, you can make the product better for everyone. And that means making life better for everyone. <laughs> GM Able recently worked with the advanced vehicle design team at General Motors, engaging in a deep dive into the everyday experience of a person living with blindness, including how they moved what transportation they used, and what would most improve their quality of life. This feedback will inform our design and manufacture of tomorrow's self-driving cars. We have engineers investigating inclusive user experiences in our self-driving vehicles, including accessible mobile applications and an interactive tablet for our passengers. There is a dedicated team working to ensure that mobile applications and tablet features are readily acceptable, accessible for our visually impaired customers. We're still developing these solutions and we welcome the opportunity to partner with organizations like ACB and our employees living with disabilities to help inform how we design the future of transportation to truly be mobility for all. We're current, thank you. Uh, we currently have a fleet of 100 self-driving vehicles operating in San Francisco, Phoenix, and metropolitan De Detroit. This technology is here, and it is real. 
Unfortunately, our current systems of rules and regulations are not ready for self-driving cars. Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards, or FMVSS, establish performance standards for vehicles and detail how manufacturers should test for compliance with these standards. Many of the FMVSS were written at a time when self-driving vehicles were not a consideration and thus are predicated on having a human driver behind the wheel and human controls like a steering wheel, brake pedal, and accelerator pedal. A self-driving vehicle can meet the safety purpose and intent of these standards, but some of the human driver-based assumptions are no longer relevant or are simply impossible for a self-driving vehicle to satisfy. Until new FMVSS that apply to AVs are issued, which will likely take years, manufacturers will need to petition the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, in order to deploy self-driving vehicles. In January of this year, General Motors submitted the first ever petition to NHTSA asking permission to deploy fully driverless vehicles. We are awaiting NHTSA action on this petition and encourage your support when NHTSA moves to make the petition available for public support and comment. On the state level, General Motors is actively working to ensure that new state laws regarding self-driving vehicles do not inadvertently prevent people with disabilities from using the technology. For example, some state bills uh, proposed that there be a requirement that people in the vehicle have a driver's license. And we were able, with the help of organizations like ACB, to uh, inform policymakers that that was not the purpose of, of the technology. Thank you. And such provisions for those who cannot pass a driver's test, such as the blind or vision impaired from accessing the technology, uh, in a self-driving vehicle, the passenger's ability to see or maneuver human controls does not matter. The vehicle's computer handles the driving task. General Motors and its partners are working with states to ensure that new laws are inclusive and do not inadvertently preclude certain users from benefiting from the technology. While I am excited about the general future of transportation, I am particularly pleased to be a part of this specific inclusive process as we evaluate the technology and regulations. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my passion for self-driving vehicles with you today. And we look forward to continuing to work with ACB and all of you in the future. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Harry. And uh, <laughs> uh, Tony and Eric work closely with GM, and they are a, a true partner in accessibility in this new arena. All right, I want to introduce our next um, Ruby sponsor presentation this morning. It is Rick Piper, Vice President of Sales USA um, for Humanware. Rick. Hey, Good morning, everyone. Good morning. 
Uh, joining me to my right is, is Peter Tusick, and uh, Peter is HumanWare's blindness ambassador, and he'll be, uh, like any good manager, I've delegated the majority of the presentation to him. Uh, but Peter and I would like to thank all of you for joining us for the next 10 minutes, and we'd also like to folk, uh, thank the folks at the ACB for giving us this opportunity uh, to share with you how all of us at HumanWare work every day to create employment opportunities for the visually impaired. Our mission, which is why we get up every morning and passionately do what we do, is to empower people with vision loss to fully participate in society. Now, fully participating in society includes qualifying for, competing in, and pursuing the right job and the right career. Unfortunately, recent data shows us that only about 28% of the visually impaired are employed. And we know that there is a significant number that are underemployed. For all of us in this room, these percentages are unacceptable. <laughs> Turning around these numbers is certainly not easy, but we must continue to try. Now, there are many areas that all of us at HumanWare are focusing on every day that will hopefully improve these percentages. This morning, Peter and I will focus on two of them, closing the experience gap between education and employment, and an extremely important topic that Peter will begin with this morning, how technology is helping the visually impaired compete head-to-head -head with their sighted peers. Thanks so much, Rick. When we, we talk about today's workplace and today's classrooms, and we talk about how connected everything, everything is today, um, it, employees and students, everyone alike, is expected to collaborate across the cloud. I'm sure many of you out here have worked with or have heard of or are using Google Drive or Microsoft OneDrive. When we talk about working within the cloud, we're participating with our sighted peers and our sighted coworkers. We're ensuring participation, and that's what we seek to do at HumanWare. When we talk about specific products, we look at something like the BrailleNote Touch, and we look at something like the Prodigy Connect 12 for a low vision user. So again, the importance of today's blind and visually impaired users to have access to real-time information is what we're really going for with these products. As a, a Braille user, and as I travel throughout the country and work in different classrooms, I see students participating in Google Docs files with their sighted peers in real time, in Braille, which is awesome. I also see the ability for a Connect 12 user to multitask and encourage being you know, able to switch between what's on the board and what is directly below them in terms of magnifications and what's under their screen with split screen viewing. So again, switching between that Braille first or that low vision product and the mainstream world on one device is what we're trying to do to keep up with our sighted peers. In terms of the professional world, it's no different. So we talk about the ability for a blind user like myself to access my exchange account in Braille. So at HumanWare, we use Microsoft 365, and I'm able to use Exchange on the BrailleNote Touch and seamlessly work through my email. I'm also able to work in 
Google Drive to collaborate with my sighted coworkers in organizing appointments and in working and making sure that we're all on the same page. For a low vision user, when it comes to working with something like the Prodigy, we're able to ensure that at any level of magnification, we're not receiving any sort of pixelized font. So we're, we're able to stretch and magnify, edit, and share that information back into the cloud in real time to our, to our coworkers. So again, in, in terms of adding, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about bringing ourselves up to the level of what we can can bring to the workplace, but also we want to add value to products. So when we talk about how we do that, we look at providing, you know, the ability for a product to be more usable. Because as we all know, accessibility does not always equal usability, right? So we always have an app that works great, and then something changes, right? And it doesn't work as well as we want it to. So accessibility, we, we want to be able to improve that and make products more usable. So we talk about Braille displays with iOS devices. I use the iPhone all day, but having a Braille display lets me truly read the world around me. It lets me know how to spell Kim Charlson, right, and send her an email instead of just hearing it and hoping I'm spelling her name right when I send her a message. It also, you know, giving me the ability to have something like the iPhone, but with the new Brailliant 14 Braille display, the ability to not have to rely on Braille translation. The ability for me to take a note and seamlessly sync that note to my device without having to worry about, oh my gosh, I hope Braille still works today. And if it does, I hope I'm mastering it properly, right, in terms of the translation and doing that. So again, providing and assisting with making products more usable and adding value to those existing products. That helps us keep up in the workplace, and it also helps us ensure that we're going to succeed and be able to be on par with our sighted peers and our sighted coworkers. In addition to that, as Rick mentioned, we're, we, we also want to close the gap between our level of education and our level of employment. I know that many of us have great college degrees or master's degrees, and a lot of times what we see is blind and visually impaired individuals have excellent schooling, but they go from the classroom to the workplace, and that sometimes is a very, very rough transition. So I, I'm going to turn it back over to Rick, and I want to talk a little bit about his work experience and mine, and how we're trying to set the bar in terms of bridging that gap for the level of, of education. So hand it over to Rick. As Peter said, the employment progression between sighted and blind folks is, in most cases, very different. As a sighted person, I've had many different jobs, and, and looking back, these jobs taught me a variety of lessons and gave me many life experiences that helped prepare me for a 30-year career in sales, marketing, and general management. It all started for me as a paper boy in elementary school. During my junior high school years, I moved up to the very glamorous job of a dish, as a dishwasher in an Italian restaurant. Then in high school, I worked nights and weekends serving tastefully crafted Arby's roast beef sandwiches. <laughs> Carrying heavy Sunday newspapers in the snow, being up to my elbows in dirty dishes, and constantly smelling like Arby's grease led me to finally asking myself one of life's most important teenage questions. Why couldn't I have been born to rich parents? <laughs> and finally, after serving four years in the, in the U.S. Air Force, I went to college where I carried a full load 
while working 20 to 30 hours a week in a department store. So Peter, any Arby's roast beef uh, sandwiches in your past experience? I mean, only eating them, Rick. I just, I love, I really love that hot roast beef and cheese, especially with horsey sauce. Don't forget the horsey sauce. But for, for me, I mean, the, the progression from where I started to my position today as the brand ambassador of Blindness Products for Humanware was similar in many ways. Uh, I knew that I always wanted to work in the, you know, the, the, the blindness community, but I had to develop workplace experience to really get there. Uh, my first job was working as a teacher's assistant in a summer school program for blind and visually impaired children, where we worked on everything from daily living skills to social skills and technology and braille music and everything in between. But what this taught me was the ability and, and the importance of having personal responsibility and how important it is to be reliable and accountable for my actions. So again, in college, as I, as I kept stepping forward, I decided I wanted to have money to take out girls on dates. So I went and I was able to get a job through the Chicago Lighthouse uh, scheduling surveys and, and working with uh, in a call center where I scheduled appointments and conducted surveys. And again, it, what that taught me is the ability to multitask. I know that Many of us have had a screen reader babbling away in one ear and maybe a customer on the other line. Um, it's, a, it's a skill that teaches you the ability to work with others and also shows the importance of listening to others in your workplace and people around you. And that's something that I, I really took from that job and I, I build you know, and, and use with me today. As I, you know, working in a call center was not my ideal career choice, obviously, but it gave me valuable tools that I still refer to and build on in today's job that I truly love, which is working with Humanware as our brand ambassador of blindness products. So again, as a result of developing those workplace skills and having that experience from a young age and being expected to perform in a workplace, I began to seek out what I truly wanted to do in terms of working with Humanware. Um, I, you know, it, it did not happen overnight. I think that's the, what, I'm, what I'm getting at here, and I'm totally blind. It took the ability for me to get and start somewhere. I had to work my way up. And we all, absolutely every one of us has the ability to pursue and succeed in any career that we want to. But it's extremely important, right, to develop our skill set through workplace experience the same way that all of our sighted peers do, just like Rick explained. And at Humanware, we always, we, we strive to make that a possibility in what we're able to provide in terms of employment for the blind and visually impaired communities. So in utilizing the technology and the toolbox that we have and developing those introductory workplace skills, uh, we're, we, we continue toward closing the gap, both in terms of unemployment within our community, as well as closing the gap between our level of education and gainful employment. So we, we thank you uh, for your time this morning and uh, allowing Peter and I to share our insights on this very important topic. Peter is living proof that we take employment of the visually impaired very seriously. And as Peter laid out for you this morning, Humanware with our technology, connectivity, and services is focused on helping the visually impaired compete head-to-head -head with their sighted peers, including looking at ways to close the gap in education and employment. Thanks again for your attention, and we wish you an interesting and productive conference. Thank you so much. Oh, it's so great. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks, Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs>
Thank you. Our final sponsor presentation this morning comes to us from Amazon. And it's my pleasure to introduce to you the Director of Accessibility, Amazon Labs, Peter Korn. I have a uh, GoPro I'd love to give away if we have time. Okay. Good morning, ACB Convention. Good morning. So some of you may know, uh, let me just get my computer up. Some of you may know Amazon for our online store. You may have also met our Audible ebooks, our Audible audiobooks, yeah. and our Kindle ebooks. You, some of you may know, we make electronic devices like the Amazon Echo with Alexa. We also offer a huge catalog of hundreds of thousands of movies and TV shows increasingly audio-described. I'm delighted to say that one of the recent additions is a movie called Delt, audio-described. And we also have a number of other devices like our Fire tablets and our Fire TVs. So I would like to take a few minutes to tell you what we have been doing over the last year with the accessibility of all of these things and more. So last year, last June, was a big month for us. That's when we introduced audio description, launching with over 100 titles, more than 10 TV series. And since that time, in the last year, we have added over 1,500 hours of audio-described content. We also introduced last year and showed here at the plenary the first television with Fire TV and Alexa built into it. And last year we introduced Braille support for output from our Fire tablets supporting, among others, the humanware Braille displays. And we introduced the Echo Show. This is an Amazon Alexa device with a screen on it, and it's the first time we introduced a new device with voice view, screen reading, and magnification built in from day one. But there are many months between last year and this year. In September, we updated our Braille support to include Braille input in grade one, grade two, UEB, and computer Braille. Also last September, we introduced magnification to Fire TV, and we added that to every Fire TV we sold going back to the very first one in 2014. So if you have a Fire TV, it now has a magnifier. 
Last November, we introduced our latest Kindle, a 10th anniversary Kindle e-reader. With this e-reader, we have a larger physical display as well as a new uh, large print option for the user interface. Um, Many, many more large font options and an invert black and white for customers with photophobia. Also in November, we updated the gestures and features of the VoiceView screen reader on tablet, and I'll talk about those more in a few moments. In December, we added math support to Kindle eBooks, including MathML access with your NVDA screen reader and Mathematics alt text on Fire tablets. This past March was a big month for us. For our deaf and hard of hearing customers, we added captioning support to Alexa. So if you have an Echo device with a screen, everything she says appears in captions on that screen. Wow. (laughs) We also added table navigation support for Kindle eBooks. So if you have a book with tables in it, Again, your NVDA screen reader on a PC gives you full access to navigating that table, row headers, column headers, and so on. But a big thing we did this past March, and I will give you a short audio clip demonstration of it, we introduced talking Amazon lockers. I'll explain that in a few moments. Closing out the last few months, this past May... We added a new requirement to all third-party sellers on the Amazon retail website. Those sellers are no longer able to upload images unless those images have alt text. And now I come to last month, June. June was the introduction of the second round of television sets with Alexa and Fire TV built into them in partnership with Toshiba and available in all Best Buy stores across the country. We also introduced the Fire TV Cube. The Fire TV Cube began shipping last week. It is the marriage of two great tastes that taste great together, an Amazon Echo and a Fire TV. And this pair of tastes included a new thing, an infrared port, allowing you to use infrared to control other devices in your audio video stack through voice. I'll talk about that more in another moment. Um, The final thing that we did this month is we introduced just last week something called show mode on uh, Fire tablets that allows you to turn your Fire tablet into an Echo Show, complete with a special stand that will do that for you automatically. So I want to talk specifically about something that's very near and dear to my heart, and I know it's very near and dear to the hearts of many folks here at ACB, and that's Braille. 
At Amazon, we care deeply about access to information, access to books, access through Braille. We believe that Braille literacy is critical. And to that end, we have thought very long and very hard about how to do Braille well. The easy way to do Braille is when you have something uh, in screen reader focus and you're talking that thing, you Braille it. Well, that's pretty cool. It's pretty straightforward. And uh, button OK in Braille takes up, I don't know, not quite 10 cells of my 40 cell display. And so all that money that I paid for those 40 cells, I'm not getting good use of. And on the other hand, if I've got a lot of information, um, how can I make efficient use of that if I have something like toggle button, toggled on item one of three, that's too much information to fit on 40 cells, all of that verbose toggle item. So we've tried to make use of Braille lines, putting multiple things on a line when we can. So on the home screen of your Fire tablet, we will put all of the icons that are there into one line if they'll fit, rather than forcing you to swipe, swipe, swipe. And at the same time, we use special glyphs to indicate that something is a button or a checkbox and that it's checked in order to be more efficient with those very, very precious cells. So if the audio is working with us, I want to play you just a very brief audio snippet talking about some of this. Focus has now come to the back button. Whoa. We're making more use of the Braille display, however, than just showing the word back. We use special Braille glyphs here at the first cell and again here at the sixth cell, the seventh cell, to show that this is the start and end of a button. And then we continue showing the rest of that line on the Braille display. Again, the start of a button, the word home, and then the end of the button. And then finally, button, app switcher, and the end of that button. So that the Braille user can much more efficiently read an entire row of information all at once, rather than having to say next, 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 just to read across the row. Furthermore, we are indicating that the back button has screen reader focus by underlining it with dots 7 and 8. And so back here shows dots 7 and 8, while home and app switcher do not. If I swipe right to bring focus to home, home button, it now gains dots 7 and 8, and back loses them. App switcher button. Similarly with app switcher. In addition to using Braille as an output mechanism, we can also interact with the tablet and voice view directly from the Braille display. Here we have back, home, and app switcher. If I want to press the home button, I can simply move to this button, this physical button, above one of the cells of the word home, 
and in that way activate the home button like this. Video. So that's just a very quick snippet illustration of what we are doing with Braille. I want to just spend the last couple of minutes talking about Amazon Locker. Amazon got started, of course, as a store. It's one of the main ways that our customers interact with us. And not all customers are comfortable having packages left at their doorstep. Oh, yeah. Or maybe, you know, their, their employer gets a little tired of having packages delivered to them at their workplace. So we introduced in 2011 something called Amazon Locker. These lockers are physical banks of lockers about six feet high, 18 inches wide per column, multiple columns in a bank. And they are scattered across the country near um, grocery stores and pharmacies and other major areas. And you can have your Amazon package delivered to one of those lockers. We have a product manager. Um, her name is Shalane. She's been with the locker organization for a couple of years. And soon after she joined, she championed uh, the uh, locker accessibility effort. And I would like to give her a few moments to introduce talking lockers and what we have done to make them accessible. Amazon Locker Accessibility. Hi, I'm Shalane, a product manager on the Amazon Locker team. Today I'll be demonstrating our talking locker. This locker is located in the United States, but we have them worldwide and available in multiple languages. As a customer, when I approach the locker, I will read a braille decal that says insert headphones to initiate speech mode in my local language. I'll then plug in my personal headphones to initiate speech mode. I'll hear locker prompts and instructions about how to pick up or return my package. I'll then use this tactile numeric keypad to interact with those prompts. Let's initiate speech mode. Welcome to Jody Test underscore Ada. Press any key to begin. There is a keypad with numbers 0 to 9, arranged like a telephone, located approximately 4 inches to the right of the audio port. The number 5 is marked with a raised dot. To repeat any prompt, Press the star key to the left of the zero on the lower left of the keypad. To pause and resume the voice instructions, press pound to the right of the zero on the lower right of the keypad. Paused. Press pound to resume. If you wish to adjust the volume, press the volume button at the lower right corner of the keypad. To the right of the numbers there are three special keys. We'll tell you the function of these if you need them later in the process. If I don't understand the language, I'll just For wait. English, press 1. Para español, número 2. Pour le français, appuyez sur 3. For English UK, press 4. Für Deutsch, drücken Sie 5. Per italiano, premere 6. Dla polski, prasi 7. To repeat these instructions, press star. I'll press 1 for Welcome English. Welcome to Jody Test underscore Ada. Press any key to begin. There is a keypad with numbers 0 to 9, arranged like a telephone, located approximately 4 inches to the right. For information on how to use Locker, please press 1. About Jody Test underscore Ada, at any time, you may press the cancel key 
to the right of the 9 key on the keypad, and marked with a raised X, to return to using the locker. Press 1 for a description of this locker's physical layout. This locker consists of the kiosk where your headphone is plugged in, and several columns with locker doors of varying sizes. The locker is 6 feet tall, and each column is 18 inches wide. There are 0-1 column of locker doors to the right of the kiosk. There are also locker doors above and below the headphone jack. Locker doors will open automatically as needed, and must be closed manually when you are finished using them. To hear this information again, press star. To return to the previous options, press zero. To use the locker, press the cancel key, to the right of the nine key on the keypad, and marked with a raised X. Welcome to Jody Test underscore Ada. Press any key to begin. For information on how to use locker, please press 1. Otherwise, press the enter key, located to the right of the number 3 on the keypad and marked with a raised circle. To, be to pick up or drop off a package, enter the 6-digit code you received in email. If you... 6, 2, 1, 1, 4, 1. Code accepted. Thank you. You have one package to pick up today. Your package is in a locker to your right approximately 53.9 inches above the ground. Lockers have doors 18.0 inches wide and are hinged on the right side. When the locker opens, please take your package and close the locker door. The locker door will open 5 seconds after you unplug your headphone. If you have any problems picking up your package, please plug your headphone back in. Thank you for using Amazon Locker. Please. We've worked very hard to make sure that it's easy for somebody who is unfamiliar with Locker by providing all of the rich instructions that you've just heard. But at the same time, if you're more experienced, walk up, plug in your headphones, hit any key, hit enter, type your code, pull out your headphones, and out comes your package just that quickly. All right. So this is just a small uh, taste of what we have done in the past year. If I can beg the chair, we have a small gift to give away. Do we, do we have um, the names to hand for a door prize? We will at our break. Can we hold it till break? We'll, 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 hold, we'll hold the Fire TV cube. possession. I'll in, in, guard it. Yes. Thank you very much. One, you know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very Thank you, Peter. Last year, after his presentation, I became the only blind person in Watertown to have a 65-inch fire TV because Brian needed it so badly. <laughs> embarrassing, but it is pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Okay. All right, we have a few items of business to take care of, and um, the first item we need to do is we need to adopt the standing rules, which were published in your program. ACB has operated under these standing rules since 2009, and there have been no changes to these rules. 
Is there a motion to accept the standing rules? Motion's been made and seconded. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Thank you. All right, I'm going to recognize Ray Campbell for a few announcements regarding affiliates and uh, delegates, etc. And then we'll hear from our final credentials report. Thank you, Thank you Madam President. Um, okay, we had several affiliates last night that either did not answer roll call or did not provide all of the required information at roll call. So I'm going to call on them now to um, provide me their information. Before I do that, let me make one thing kind of very clear. And I should have when we started this process earlier in June, and I apologize for that. Just because you provide the roll call information ahead of time, you still, per the Constitution, need to provide it here at the convention. Uh, someone did tell me, approached me and said that was not clear. I wanted to make sure that's understood. You still need to provide it. Providing it ahead of time just as a convenience for you and for me to uh, take care of it, of course, as you saw last night, there can still be changes made. With that in mind, um, the first affiliate I need to hear from is the Arizona Council of the Blind. You need to provide a representative to the nominating committee if you have one. John, or somebody from Arizona? Um, D.C. Council, get on deck because you're going to be next. We're going to do this like baseball since we're in a baseball town. I think John's looking for a mic. Can someone help Mr. McCann in that... Uh, in that uh... Here. Mike Seven. There he is. There you go. Hello? Okay. There, there you are. Very good. Okay, Ray, I said yesterday I am the delegate. Desi Noller, N-O-L-L-E-R, will be the alternate and will also go to nominating. Okay. So Desi Noller is going to the nominating committee for Arizona. Okay, we have that. Uh, and the dogs have you. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, John. So, DC Council of the Blind um, did not respond to the roll call, so I will call DC Council of the Blind. Two votes. Okay. Uh, for DC, I'm the alternate delegate. The delegate will be Freddie Pico. My name is Harold Pease. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nominating committee will be Jeanette Gerard. Okay. We'd like eight chairs and one wheelchair slot. Okay. So let me repeat that back for DC Council of the Blind. Freddie Pico is the delegate. And she is here. Okay. Harlow Peace is the alternate. Jeanette Gerard's going to nominating committee. They need eight chairs and one space for a wheelchair. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Okay, on down here, we have, the next one I have is, uh, the New Jersey Council of the Blind, did I answer the roll call, so I will call them. New Jersey Council of the Blind, three votes. New Jersey Council of the Blind, three votes. And for a third and final time, New Jersey Council of the Blind, three votes. New Jersey will not be called during the rest of this convention. Okay, next one we have. Uh, South Dakota Association of the Blind, two votes. 
South Dakota Association of the Blind, two votes. And for a third and final time, South Dakota Association of the Blind, two votes. Uh, we will not call South Dakota during the remainder of this uh, the remainder of this convention. Okay, the next one, Vermont Council of the Blind, three votes. Vermont Council of the Blind, three votes. And for a third and final time, Vermont Council of the Blind, three votes. We, ladies and gentlemen, we will not be calling Vermont during the remainder of the the remainder of this convention. Thank you. And I would just echo what Ralph Smitherman said last night to our board liaisons with these affiliates that are not sending people or whatever. Please get with them, work with them. Let's see if we can get them to uh, send people so that they can be called uh, going forward. Next one I need to hear from, uh, they did not respond to the roll last night, is American Association of Blind Teachers. Two votes. Yes, the American Association of Blind Teachers is here. Delegate Susan Glass. Alternate Delegate Steve Dresser. Nominating Committee Tabitha Brecky. And we, need, we do not need any chairs. Thank you so much. Okay. The delegate for AABT is Susan Glass. The alternate is Steve Dresser. Tabitha Brecky is going to go to the nominating committee. And they do not need any chairs. Okay. Next one I need to hear from that did not respond to the roll last night is ACB government employees. One vote. Mr. Secretary. Yes, sir. Thank you, and thank you, ACB, for the second chance. (laughs) ACBGE is here. Our delegate will be Bill Milanarski. His name is spelled (laughs) B-I-L-L. That's good. That's good. His his last name, uh, M-L-N-A-R-S-K-I. He is our delegate. Albert Anderson is our alternate delegate, and Albert Anderson will serve on the nominating committee. We're requesting four chairs and one wheelchair space. Thank you. Thank you, Albert. Uh, wise guy. Uh, for ACB government employees, Bill Lenarski is the delegate. Albert Anderson is the alternate. Albert Anderson is going to go to the nominating committee, and they need four chairs and one space for a wheelchair. Thank you very much. And the last one I need to hear from, Blind LGBT Pride International needs to provide us a nominating committee representative. So as soon as somebody from Blind Pride can get to a microphone and take care of that, we will. Uh, that'll be the last one we need to hear from. <coughs> Blind Pride, do you are you at a mic? Blind Pride, is someone from Blind Pride at a microphone? Get to a mic. We'll get we'll get that to you. We'll get that from you in a minute. I'm trying to get. Uh, Okay, somebody has a change while Blind Pride is making it to the mic. Are you at a microphone, uh, ma'am? To make not quite. Okay. I don't think. And while she's making her way to the microphone, uh, this is Jean Johnson from Tennessee, and we had requested 33 chairs, and we only got 18. Not sure what happened there, but we need more chairs. Thank you. Okay, you're you're down on my list for 33, so. 
Mr. Chairman. Uh, yes, Mr. Pomerantz. I want to remind the folks who are going to be representing their affiliates at the nominating committee this evening that it starts at 545 sharp. You remember how my railroads run on time. Except <laughs> Amtrak. It is going to be, the meeting is in Regency B. For those of you who were at the uh, Giving Society uh, reception last evening, it's that room. So it's, it's down here. Regency B, as in baseball. And we will close the doors at 545 sharp. So leave early from wherever you are. Yes. Because everything in this hotel takes a little extra time, let's say. You don't run late like Amtrak does sometimes. No, I don't run. Uh, no, I don't run late like Amtrak. Okay. So okay. thank you, uh, thank you, Ray. Thank you. You bet, Mr. Uh, Secretary. The correction that we have for Louisiana is we need eight additional chairs, giving us a total of twenty-three. Make it. Get you down. Make it down to you here. Anyone from LGBT yeah. Pride? Okay, so you right now, Kim, I've got you at 15. You need how many? You need eight more? Eight more for 23. That's total. great. And do you still need the two wheelchair spaces? Yes, please. All right, thank you. Okay. Got them. And uh, do we have somebody from Blind Pride that is uh, at a microphone? No. Okay, Blind Pride will not be represented on the nominating committee then. Madam, Madam uh, President, that completes uh, all Thank of my... Thank you, Chair. Uh, uh, yes. I can't find the mic. Hello, you're at the mic. We got you, we Carla. We can hear you. What's up? Carla. We also are short chairs in Kentucky. Um, we haven't had that problem <laughs> in a long time. Uh, we needed a wheelchair space, and we also needed 25 chairs for the Kentucky Council of the Blind and Bluegrass needed seven, that'd be a total of 32 and one wheelchair space. That's what I have on my list, so... Um, That's not what we have. Okay. Okay, we'll uh, get that, definitely get that taken care of. All right. Thank you. No, Next. That, that now completes the, uh, my business. Thank you, Thank Ray. You. Following the credentials report, we will have um, our first angel presentation. Teddy Joy Remheld. Ralph, I turn the mic over to you. Okay. Good morning, ACB. This is Ralph Smitherman, your credentials chairman. I wanted to thank uh, our president, Ms. Kim Charlson, for giving me the opportunity this year to be chairman of our credentials committee. I also would like to thank the committee, which consists of our former chairman, Ms. Jean Mann. We miss you, Jean. Wish you were here. Uh, we, <clears throat> we have Ms. Kathy Brockman on the committee and Ms. Sharon Lovering, who does a terrific job, by the way. Also, there is George Holliday. John Huffman, 
and uh, Pat Sheehan and our illustrious secretary, Mr. Ray Campbell, keeps us in line there. It was my pleasure to serve as chairman. Uh, once again, we want to encourage all affiliates to use the AMMS program. It streamlines everything, and we appreciate those affiliates who do use that. All credentials affiliate information is in order at this time. And uh, Madam President, if I may be allowed to make a motion in reference to credentials. On behalf of the Credentials Committee, I make a motion that the affiliate votes verified by the Secretary last evening, together with any amendments thereto, and those ACB, ACB members currently registered and certified, shall constitute the voting body for ACB business sessions. Thank you. All those, oh, all those in favor, <laughs> signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. The motion's passed. The report is accepted. Thank you, Ralph, and your committee for your hard work. All right. Next, we're going to have the recognition for Teddy Joy Ramhild as an ACB angel. Teddy lived from 1933 to 2016 and was last known and claimed by our folks in California. So Paul Edwards is here on the stand with me, and you're going to hear him in a different capacity, not live, but Memorex. Paul? Okay. All right. Paul is here, and uh, we'll he is. Yes. Yes. I, mean, I know you are. Just <laughs> say a couple words. And then I will. I will. So, I am honored to be a part of this presentation. Teddy Joy Remhill was born on May first, nineteen thirty-three. She had a difficult childhood. After her birth mother abandoned her, she was raised by her grandmother, Amy Brooks. She overcame these problems and had a column in her high school newspaper under the pseudonym Babbling Brooks. Teddy Joy had three children, Lisa, Dana, who predeceased her, and Chris. After a divorce in the late 1960s, Teddy began losing her sight, becoming legally blind. She was a single mother. To support her children, Teddy Joy worked as a cafeteria worker and as a medical transcriber. As a result of her work, she developed high blood pressure. She filed a workers' compensation claim, and with the settlement, Teddy Joy paid to go to college and was awarded a degree in gerontology by the University of Southern California. Teddy Joy worked for a few agencies before accepting a job in Silver Springs, Maryland. Eventually, Teddy Joy returned to Los Angeles when she received a job offer from PASC, the Personal Assistance Service Council. After working until she was well into her 70s, Teddy Joy joined the board of PASC. 
in 2015, she was elected as the new chairperson of the PASC board. Teddy Joy was active in the National Federation of the Blind until the early 1990s. Then she became a member of the California Council of the Blind. Teddy Joy served as president of the Greater Los Angeles chapter and was a leader and longtime member of the Glendale Burbank chapter of CCB. In 2000, Teddy Joy was elected second vice president of CCB and also served on several committees, including the Governmental Affairs Committee and was a founding member of the Association for Multicultural Concerns. She was the chair of the American Council of the Blind Committee on Aging and Blindness and active in the Friends in Art government employees, and Blind Pride International. She also worked unstintingly on the Women's Concerns Committee. Teddy Joy was a great friend of people she met and of the blind community and is missed by her numerous friends. Teddy Joy developed her work as a poet to the point where she became a published poet. This is a poem she wrote, Solitary Sojourn by Teddy Joy Remild. Peace and solitude. I am drawn to the source of my being, and there I reflect on my solitary sojourn from innocence to knowing. As the seasons come and go, a path is forged, which only I can know. Time now brings me to the harvest of my life and the knowing of who I have become, a solidary sojourn of pain and love, of life and loss. And now, in this time of harvest and place of peace, I celebrate the source of my being and the joys derived from my solitary sojourn. This is Paul Edwards. I had the honor to have lunch with Teddy and Charles Navarrete during the last convention she attended. She was as full of the joy that made her Teddy as she always was. I too will miss you, Teddy. The American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention will begin in 10 minutes. Please find your way to your seats. 10 minutes. Thank you. The American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention will begin in 5 minutes. Please find your way to your seats. So I just want to make one tiny comment, and that is to, to thank all those in California, including Charles Navarrete, uh, for giving me the honor of being a part of uh, recognizing a lady who I love very much. Teddy, we miss you. Charles, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Paul. And now it's my honor to recognize someone from my home state of Oregon, Sue Schwab, to speak about Bob Rushing, 1928 to 2017. Sue is Bob's daughter and the current treasurer of the ACB of Oregon. Sue? Thank you, Madam Chair. As she said, I am here today, this morning, to honor my dad, Bob Rushing, with the Angel Wall Memorial. 
My dad was a longtime ACB member, passed away on May 5th in 2017 at the age of 88. My dad met my mom at the Oregon School for the Blind. He was a student at ACB because he only had one eye and due to a head injury when he was a young guy. And in those days, they expected that you might lose sight in the other eye if you had an injury like that. So, let's see. He uh, met my mom there and said that she was the cutest girl in school. So, of course, he had to chase her. <laughs> my mom and dad joined the Oregon Council of the Blind in the 1950s. This organization, a short time later, became, became the American Council of the Blind of Oregon. Bob remained very active with ACB of Oregon throughout his life, including 18 years as the state affiliate's treasurer. In 1973, Bob led the ACB of Oregon in the ambitious project of hosting the ACB National Convention in Portland, Oregon. This was the first time that Oregon, and only I guess, first time that Oregon had hosted the National Convention. It was an enormous and ambitious task, but they were successful and made it a great turnout. One of Bob's proudest achievements with ACB of Oregon was his role in acquiring several gifts and bequests for the organization. Most of them were endowments that today are worth $340,000. His vision in creating a sustainability for our state affiliate has ensured its financial health far into the future beyond his lifetime. During my dad's lifetime, having only one eye was not difficult, but then he lost sight in his other good eye due to a cataract. This led my dad and my mom to the Oregon Commission for the Blind, to the Business Enterprise Program as cafeteria operators. He became a part of the Randolph Shepherd Program through this career that gave him the personal experience of living and working among the blind community. After the cataract was removed, Bob eventually moved on to work for the Commission for the Blind as the business enterprise representative. His experience with the blind community and then actually becoming a blind individual, even for a few years, gave him the experience, determination, and respect. The American Council of the Blind would like to thank all donors for their generous support. Uh-oh. We wish to again recognize our double... <laughs> there we go. I can be as entertaining as Paul. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, it gave him the determination and respect to interact and guide other blind individuals in their efforts to become successful business operators. In their retirement, my mom and dad had the opportunity to attend 10 ACB national conventions all over the country. This gave them the opportunity to meet many wonderful ACB members, as well as do some sightseeing in some of America's greatest cities and historical locations. Because singing and playing country music 
country western music was one of my dad's passions. Our family and friends gave him a great send-off to cowboy heaven. Bob made a large impact on our lives, as well as the ACB of Oregon, and we will be forever grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Sue, and thank you to Bob. I was president of the Oregon Council of the Blind from 1979 to 1983. And with Bob's leadership in that organization, you can hear what he managed to accomplish and the, the leadership role he left behind. Thank you. All right. It's now my privilege to turn the program over for our presiding officer of the day, and I'm, I'm giving him a rather challenging task because we have such a full agenda. And I loved every moment of this morning, even though we're 45 minutes behind schedule now. <laughs> so we will do our best. We'll have a shortened break. I hope we can have door prizes. We have not met our door prize people from Missouri. So I hope they will be ready at break time. If not, let me know, and we'll hopefully do that soon so you can have a chance at door prizes. So, our officer of the day, ACB First Vice President, Dan Spoon from Orlando, Florida. There you go. (laughs) Thank you, Madam President. Quite a tall task for my first opportunity. Dan, we're 45 minutes late. Get us back on schedule. So. so you all have all been sitting for a little while. I want to do a couple of things. First, as a blind person, everybody is up here on these microphones. And for years, I've been out in the audience. I'm never exactly sure where the podium is and where everybody's at. So being an audio description project chair, first thing I want to do is step away from the mic and yell so you just know where we're at. Okay, hold on. Here I am! Woo! All right, to my left is Kim Charlson and Ray Campbell, and to my right is Eric Bridges, your right. And to, to his, to his uh, immediate right is Richard Turner, who's going to be one of our pre- presenters a little later this morning. So that's who's on the stage. There is a video screen to stage left. So if, you're lo- if you've got some low vision or you're sighted, we're going to have some video presentations as we go along today. So that's where the video screen will be. And if you have to come up on the stage for any reason, that's at stage right where our wonderful stage manager, JoLynn Bailey Page, will assist you up to the stage. Okay? So now, what I want everybody to do is stand up. If you can. Because we need to stretch a little bit. We've been sitting for a while. And we're not going to do exercises. That's my wife's gig, not mine. Okay, so is everybody standing? You can. We're going to do something real quick. I'm going to say, who are we? And you guys are going to yell back at me, we are ACB. Three times. Loud enough for ACB to, radio to hear it. And this is the time to let out those frustrations of the morning. Are you ready? Who are we? Who are we? Who are we? Doggone right. Please take a seat. Thank you all very much.
Okay. All right. Is Charlie Brennan here? Is Charlie Brennan in the in the audience? No. Okay. All right. In that case, we're going to change the agenda just a little. Maybe this is the the master plan to get us back on schedule. Richard, good. Okay. Okay. We're going to go grab Richard real quick. While we're grabbing Richard, do we have our door prize ladies? Yes. Peggy Smith. Yes. Peggy Smith, could you get to a mic? I'm at a mic. Peggy is at a mic. Our first, All right. Our first door prize is going to be that wonderful Amazon prize. If we can get it out of Kim's grubby little hand. I'm going to get a different name. All right, Peggy, tell us who's going to win that Amazon. Mark Bolger from Omaha. Mark Bolger from Omaha, Nebraska. Are you in the room? you got to be present to win. I'm here. All right. Okay, the next name is going to be a $50 from FCB, and the name is Elise Irving. Elise Irving, and you're in the room. All right, let's keep going. Okay, the second one is... A keychain and ten dollars from MC. No, no, same prize. Just draw a different name. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, Floyd Nunston. Floyd. Is he from Florida? Yes. yes. Oh. oh. Is he not here? No. Not here. Okay. Okay. Next. Another name. There's a few of us here. I can hear them. Mike Gabino. Mike Gabino from New York. Are you here? He's not selling MMS yet. He's here. All right, Mike, congratulations. Okay. All right, thank you, Peggy. Thank you, Door Prize ladies. We'll be back with you in a little bit. Thank you, thank you. And now do we have Richard? No. Okay. Is Richard back? I'm right here. All right. All right. Thank you all. We're all, right now. I have the the privilege of introducing Richard Turner. He is a master. He doesn't call, call himself magician. He is a master mechanic and card manipulator. He is totally blind. He is from San Antonio, Texas, and his documentary won the nineteen seventeen audience. Two, excuse me, 2017. He's not quite that old. Sorry about that, Richard. Yes. I'm really old. 2017 uh, Audience Award at the South by Southwest Film Festival for the documentary Delk. His presentation will be on video, so if you have some vision, please look at the screen as well. Without any further ado, let me please introduce Richard Turner. Before I talk, I'm going to make sure the, la- the speaker doesn't yell at you. Does that sound good? Well, howdy! We're from te- I'm from Texas. We say howdy! 
<clears throat> and I, 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 I love it when the audience shows up. So much more fun. Well, as you heard, I'm Richard Turner, and I represent why you should never play cards with strangers. And you won't find anyone stranger than myself. I, I'm what's known as a card mechanic. The slang term is card shark. Most of you have heard of that. And I first want to say thank you to Eric Bridges for inviting me and not be embarrassed to be seen in public with me. And also, uh, Kim Charleston. She has the most beautiful, eloquent voice. I very much enjoyed listening to her now last night. Doesn't she have a beautiful voice? And at my right, Kelly, tell everybody your name. I'm Kelly Gass. See, I guessed it before she even said it. Maybe I'm a mind reader. And over on this side we have... Marjorie Beeman. Marjorie Beeman, and she is Beeman. All right, let me ask this. How many have ever played cards for money? Say yes. yes. Has this thought ever crossed your mind? When I play in a casino, am I getting conned? Every time you lost a bet, right? I'll tell you this, the casinos don't cheat. And they pay me to tell you that. <laughs> Just kidding. But they do know me very, very well worldwide. Now, this is very much a visual act. And for your benefit and for mine, I will do the best I can to be the AD, the audio description of what Kelly will be seeing and telling me and I will be telling you. Sound good? So this is theater of the mind. Do the best you can to follow. Because what I'm going to do is show you how many ways under what conditions I can take your money at the card table. <laughs> I've been actually ranked number one for many, many years. And I'm going to try to show you why. I'm passing a deck over to Miss Kelly. And I have one here for myself. Now in card games, poker, blackjack, bridge, hold them, whatever you want to make sure the cards are evenly mixed. Kelly and I are going to work together. So first, Kelly, give your deck a cut. Just cut your deck any way you want. I just cut my deck in half and completed it. Okay. Now give it an up the river cut. Now I'm cutting cards into piles going up the ladder. Do I have to do that? Do the best you can. <laughs> you just fake it. You just tell me that you're doing it and I'll believe you. Okay. <laughs> now give it a, a, a three-way cut. Now give it a flying three. I just did cut the deck into three piles, threw them up in the air, and caught them back into one stack. Now you have to do shuffle. Uh, so break your deck, 26-26. Notice I'm exactly cut in half. Now you lace them up, every other card. I'm going one for one. Okay, you have to do that twice. It's called riffle, riffle. Do the best you do, fake it. Now you give it a cut, which reverses the top and bottom. Then you do a running cut, which reverses the top and bottom. You give it one more shuffle and one more cut. That's basic casino procedure. The deck should be pretty evenly mixed, yes? Uh, well, yes. Would you hold your cards off the table in your hands, Kelly? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to spread these cards out and see how evenly mixed this deck is. Uh, for everybody, Kelly, what's this card on the bottom? Is that an ace? I uh, guess. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, jack, queen, king, ace, two, three. I shuffle the cards back into perfect numerical order by suit. That's what I call an evenly mixed deck. <laughs> now I'm going to take these cards and they're face up. So they, what's that? I'm now taking them face up. I'm doing what's called a casino wash. I'm scrambling them around so that 
people can know that they have been messed up. Now I'm going to pass them over to the lovely Miss Marjorie, and she's going to shuffle in any way you want, and then just set them on this. Give me a hand, right? Just set them on that corner so I know where they are. Pass the deck over here. Yeah, please yeah, shuffle any way you like. But if you want to just do some cuts, just they're brand new decks, so be careful. They're like a slippery fish when they're new. <laughs> How many have seen the movie 21 about the MIT student MIT students took on the casinos? I was on a TV show where one of these world-renowned card counters was gonna demonstrate how he could beat the house just one or twice. That's perfect. But what he didn't know is they brought me in as the dealer for that piece. We filmed for two hours, and he never won one single hand. He was so ticked. <laughs> now, I have a deck shuffled up by Miss Kelly, so the deck is randomized. I'm going to take a card, put it face up on the bottom. That's part of the etiquette of blackjack. It's called burning a card. Now, Kelly, we're going to deal a hand. How many players do we have at the table? For time's sake, pick a number four or five. Four or five? Yeah, four or five players. Pick a number. Uh, four. And where do you want to sit? One, two, three, or four? One, two, three, or four? Three. She wants the third hand, so I'm dealing a card off the top, face up to number one. Number two, she's at Benny Benyon's place. She has a half a million dollars sitting on this hand. <laughs> and there's card number three. Tell us out loud what it is for everybody. Ace of spades. Ooh, that's a good card. <laughs> and then one for the dealer. Now we have, I'm dealing another one, face up player number one, face up number two, and now Miss Kelly, player number three. What's that card, Kelly? That is the king of hearts. Ooh, blackjack. She just walked out with a million and a quarter. But, but the thing is, she shuffled cut, shows how many players, where she wanted to sit. I took care of business for her. Now I'm passing her back to death, and your job, make sure they're all face down. Okay, they're all face down. Okay, shuffle them up and just set them right here out of the way for me. Now I'm taking the other deck that's been shuffled up by Margarine. How many have ever played in a private card game? Say yes. See, I want audio responses to my, to my questions. <laughs> I can't stand this head nodding business. <laughs> Y'all, most of you understand what I'm saying, right? Okay, I have a deck shuffled up by Margarine. Now, it's my deal. It went around as Kelly's, yours, Margarine, my deal. Now, without picking up the deck, I'm going to do what is called casino procedure. And just through the act of shuffling cards, I'm going to try to entirely control the game. So listen carefully. So I'm breaking the deck into two halves. I'm riffling into each other. Do it again. Riffle, riffle. And then you do what's called a running cut, which reverses the top and bottom halves of the deck. Another riffle and a cut. That's basic casino procedure. That reverses the top and bottom halves of the, again. Now, after the fact, the deck has been shuffled and cut. You're going to tell me how many people step up to my table. Put your cards right. Oh, they're good. You are so good. She did exactly as I told. I want to make sure I didn't knock them off on the floor and then, you know, uh, Rick or somebody have to go digging for them. Okay. Now you're going to tell me how many people step up to my hold'em table. Hold'em is now the most popular poker game in the world. Pick a number of players, five, six, or seven, Marjorie. What should we have? Five, six, or seven? Seven. So I didn't know what she was going to say. She says seven. I'm dealing a card face down to player one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
back to player one again. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. So each player gets two what are called pocket cards, down cards. Then they take a card off the top. They set it to the side. It's called burning a card. Then they have what's called the flop. They turn three cards face over, and everybody shares these cards. Kelly, tell us what those three cards are. So that's the jack of spades, or no, the jack of, of diamonds, sorry. The six of clubs and the ace of hearts. So we have, a, uh, okay, now they burn in a, a card, and then we have what's called the turn, fourth street. What's that card? That's the two of diamonds. A burn and a turn. We have what's called fifth street. What's that card? That is the ace of spades. So on the board is two aces, and Marjorie, Marjorie, she's my secret partner. She's sitting over in hand number six, just raising the limit as uh, Eric and everybody are throwing in their best. Let's see what she has in the pocket. What's that card, Kelly? That is the ace of clubs. Ooh, that makes three aces. What is that card, Kelly? That is the ace of diamonds. Four aces to margarine. You just whip their heinies big time. <laughs> now, Take those decks, make sure they're all face down, shuffle them up, just set them in your spot. All right. You guys don't mind uh, uh, personal blind jokes? (laughs) Because let me give you a little background of my vision situation. My vision started going south when I was nine years old. During my teens and 20s, my vision was measured at 20 over 400, which is twice as low as what's considered legally blind. Then it all disappeared. And I have to admit, growing up with vision, no better than the old visually impaired cartoon character, Mr. Magoo. Anyone old enough to remember Magoo? Yeah. It can be very entertaining at times. Like watching as I stop trees, car doors, solid brick buildings with my bare head. That's why my head, hair is disappearing fast. See, I, I block with my head to protect my hands. Hands are valuable, head not worth so much. If my beautiful wife, she's so immune to me running into things. We're relaxing in our chairs and the phone rings. I dash to answer the phone. I ran square into the corner of a wall, split my head wide open. I'm gushing blood. She looked up from her book and said, now that one had to hurt. (laughs) When you get off the phone, don't forget to wipe up the blood. I was on the driving range with my dentist. He went to talk to somebody. I didn't realize each time I put a ball down, I made a slight adjustment to the left. Instead of driving the balls at 12 o'clock, I was driving them at 9 o'clock, right towards the pro shop. And the golf pro is over there yelling and screaming over the speaker system, hey, you in the blue shirt. And of course, I couldn't tell I was wearing a blue shirt. He said, what the blankety blank are you driving those balls over here for? Are you crazy, man? I wondered who that jerk was in the blue shirt as I, bam, drove another two-inch bullet right towards his face. When when my son, his name is Asa, A-S-A, middle name is Spades, Asa Spades, cool name, huh? When he was about seven years old, we were at a restaurant, and he he had to use the restroom. So we both sided up to a pair of urinals, and I'm being my normal goofy self, and I'm looking over and down at him going, oh, I love to pee and get the pee out of me. When I feel this little tap on my back, a voice from behind go, um, dad, I finished. That's another man you're singing to? (laughs) This is the worst part of it. When I got home and he told my wife, she had to bring up to the point that 
because he was small, I was looking over and down right at the guy's... (laughs) Embarrassing! I got up one morning to brush my teeth. I squirted the toothpaste on my brush and started brushing. It was horrid. I went to my wife. I said, what kind of toothpaste is this? It's horrible. She laughed. She said, that's not toothpaste. That's spermicide. It's for birth control. (laughs) If you keep using that, we'll never have kids. I, I like to make sure I like to make sure my shirt is neatly tucked in before a show. And I'm always stepping off to the side. And I did it even while the camera was on here probably. But I stepped off to the side, I undid my buckle, started pulling down my zipper when my wife walked up just in time to save me from a quick trip to jail. <laughs> She said, you probably don't realize there's a little lady on her knees with a squeegee cleaning floor-length windows with your crotch right in front of her nose, watching your zipper coming down, and she looks really concerned. (laughs) This was the most memorable moment. I came up with a great idea for the blind and deaf driver. I bought a motorcycle. I would drive, my deaf friend Roy would tell me where to go. Right, left, red light, green light, it worked really well until one day we were pulled over for suspected armed robbery. We fit the profile to a T except for two minor details. The getaway driver wasn't blind, his accomplice wasn't deaf. Once we proved to the cop that we couldn't see the lights flashing or hear the siren blasting, seriously, I received a ticket for driving while blind, and he let us drive on. (laughs) True story. Now you know what a goofball you're listening to. But this is what I've learned about life. We're all dealt different hands in life. With those hands, we make choices. A choice of mediocrity or painting a portrait of success. Over the next few minutes, you're going to become familiar with the acronym DELT. D-E-A-L-T is in Delta Hand of Cards. D stands for dreams. Our dreams fuel the fire in our belly. E stands for excellence. What opens doors is becoming an expert, achieving a state of excellence. A stands for analysis. Socrates famously said, an unexamined life is not worth living. L stands for loyalty. We must be loyal to our company, colleagues, customers, and values such as honesty and integrity. And T stands for tenacity. Tenacity breaks down the barriers that stand between us and our dream. Now, as I said, one of my dreams was to be a card shark. And many times I've been asked, growing up, did you actually want to be a card shark? Weren't you normal like the rest of us and want to be something respectable? Like a doctor, lawyer, hamburger flipper? I didn't want to be any of those things. Growing up, my dream was to kick like Chuck Norris. I wanted straight like Charlton Heston demonstrated in the old movie Ben-Hur. But my most daunting aspiration was to be a card shark, like James Garner's character from the TV series Maverick. And as my wife says, it's a good thing I never saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) 
we'll start with the letter D, dreams. Henry David Thoreau once said, if one advances confidently in the direction of his dream, he will meet with success unexpectedly in common hours. Here are a few questions that kind of rattle around in my brain about reaching your dream and painting your own personal portrait of success. You know, what makes a world champion? What separates good from great? Why do some people become world-class while others, despite their best efforts, never rise above mediocrity? People that rise to the level of mediocrity often, often end up there because they have no dream. In their mind's eye, they have no portrait of success. They have not developed the framework within to fully examine their potential. There's no fire in their belly, no dream. And if you notice this, they'll let the littlest things shut you down, like doubt. We don't become world-class if we're full of self-doubt. Rather, if we have a portrait of success firmly embedded in our brain, whatever we set our mind to, despite the naysayers, and do we know they're naysayers? Oh, he's a blind man, he can't do that. We still achieve our dream. Now, as I said, I was kind of an odd duck. I wanted to be a card mechanic. And let me explain something. There's a big difference between a card mechanic and a card magician. The general public thinks they're one and the same. They're not. And actually, the term card mechanic goes back 50 years before the invention of automobile. A card mechanic is somebody who can control the outcome of a card game. And the techniques for the card table are literally thousands of times more difficult to develop than the techniques used to perform card magic. And I've been very fortunate that I've had the privilege of working with many of the most respected people in the areas I was interested. In 1975, because of my growing up with a deck of cards and my discipline, what I developed, I had the privilege of meeting a man named Professor Dive Vernon. Professor Vernon was born in 1894. He lived to be nine, over 98 years old. And for 60 years, he was considered the best in the world with a deck of cards. He was also known as the man who fooled Houdini. And that took place almost 100 years ago. I had the privilege of working with Professor Vernon for 17 years. And during my years with Professor, he would describe to me very intricate card concepts and card moves. And because of my discipline and tenacity, I became the recipient of a century worth of his most guarded card table information. And the thing is, during my years with him, he didn't describe them the things to me in the way that he could do them or the way that anyone else could do them because I couldn't see what he was showing me. He tricked me. He described them to me in a perfect manner, in the way he wished they could be done. And only after I spent tens of thousands of hours mastering the different moves, techniques, controls, did eventually he admit to me he made them up. He thought they were impossible. He just wanted to see what this crazy kid would come up with. Right now I'm equalizing my hands to my, uh, my, to my body to make sure my touch is clean. I'm going to show you some things that Professor Vernon said were not possible. I have a deck shuffled up by Kelly. We're going to deal with my favorite game, which is seven card stud. It's the predecessor to Texas Hold'em. Miss Kelly, can you point to somebody out there and have them pick a number four or five players? You. Pick <laughs> Help me put, what's your name? Zelda, how about you? The, Four players. Where do you want to sit? One, two, three, or four? Four. Four and four, okay? I'm dealing a card face down to player one, card face down to player two, face down number three, slow motion. I'm dealing one, and it was Velda? To, what's her name, Velda? Uh, no, it's Zelda. Zelda. Now, I just dealt, now watch this. I am now handing the deck back to Kelly. Kelly, I want you to give the deck a quick mix, okay. and then just pull out any random part of that deck and hand it to me. To me. So, Kelly is going to do everything she can to try to screw things up for Zelda. So just hand me a random part of the deck. You just do something quick. 
random part of the deck. Just random part. part. You are the boss. Okay. Just give me something. Okay, she just handed me a random stack. Now I'm dealing a card face down to player one, face down to player two, face down to player three, and for Zelda, slow motion, there's her card. Take these cards back, mix them with the rest, hand me any part of that deck. The point of this is, even if the deck was face up, and you could see every card coming off the deck, or if they had a giant embossed K on the K and a J on a J, to be able to control things under these conditions would be inconceivable. I'm now dealing a card face up to player one, two, and three, and now slow motion, I'm dealing one to Zelda. What's that card, Kelly? That is the um, Jack of Hearts. Ooh, that Jack is a good card. Take those cards back, mix them up, hand me any part of the deck you want. While you do that, I'll try to keep my messes in order. Hand me, so she's now handing me a random stack of deck. Okay cards. Oh, is she getting ever so stingy? She gave me six cards. Man. Player one, player two, player three, and uh, you chose, come before you her, switch with me, just for the heck of it. Right before you're on the card, switch with me. So we just switch cards, and would you, I'm going to have her mix them up, and I, uh, you're feeling left out. Do something to the get. Just give the deck a cut. A quick cut. Just something quick. So they're again messing up the cards right before dealing the card at Zelda's position. What they, what's that card? The Ten of Hearts. Ten Jack. They go together. Mix them up. Hand me any part of that deck you want. So once again, Kelly has the deck in her hands. We have two cards face up, two cards face down. She had, oh, she's a little more generous this time. <laughs> she gave me 13 cards this time. We have player one, player two, Player three, slow motion for Zelda. What's that? The ten of clubs. Two tens? Mix them up. How is she doing this? Kelly is so good. She's been hanging out with me all uh, the past couple days. and she, oh, She's a quick learner. Oh, look at that mess, Kelly. Come on. She handed them to me all scattered. Okay. We have player one, player two, player three, player Zelda. What's that? That is the queen of diamonds. Ten jack queen. Mix them up. Mix them up. This will be the last card. We're playing seven card stud and use the best five out of seven cards. And we're playing seven stud high Chicago. That means whoever has the highest spade as one of their down cards wins half the money. Now I'm dealing a card face down to player one, face down to player two, face down to player three, and shuffle. Mix with me. Switch with me. Switch with me. Right before... Right before dealing the last card, she just switched her half with a shuffle deck, and I'm dealing the last card. Put that with the rest of the stack. You hold on to them. So once again, she shuffled and cut. So in your mind, picture that. She shuffled and cut. She pulled out any random part of that deck and handed them to me. Zelda wanted four players to sit at fourth position. Now we're going to reveal her hands. What's this card here? The ten of clubs. So the first card is a ten. Queen of diamonds. Queen. Ten of hearts. Another ten, and then between the ten we'll put a jack. Uh Uh-huh, of hearts. Jack of hearts. What's that card? Queen of hearts. So two queens and two jacks. What's that? That is the king of hearts. So we have ten jack, queen, king, and we're playing high spade and the hole splits the pot. What's this last card? That is the ace of spades. Ten jack, queen, king, ace of spades. (laughs) As they say in poker, welcome to boardwalk. (laughs) But you shuffled... You cut, you chose how many players, you chose where you wanted to sit. All I did was cheat. (laughs) And she did everything under the sun to try to screw things up. I am going to now square up this mess here and pass it back to Miss Kelly. Give me the rest of the cards. Put them all together and make sure they're all face down or face one direction. She's cleaning up my (laughs) moves. 
don't do, spread it. It's easier. Just than spread them. Yeah, here. Oh. Yeah, let me spread it. You're for better you. at this than me. Yeah, let me spread <laughs> it. For you. Yeah. Okay. Make them all face down. Okay. They're good. They're good. Okay. She was sitting there. Going to count them one at a time. Are they all face down or face up? Uh, face down. Okay. Name a card out loud. Just any card? Any card. Ace of diamonds. Oh, what'd you say? Ace of diamonds. Oh, it's not everybody says ace. Something random. Say something random? Yeah. Eight of... There you go. Take out all the eights. Take out all the eights. All the eights. All the eights? All five of them, yes. All five. I keep a spare. I've heard about Kelly. Her (laughs) reputation precedes her. There should be five. Another one. May I ask this? If you can see, say Yes. Okay, if you can't see, say yes. yes. Okay, I just want to know how many people are, are getting it visually and how many are getting it in, in the uh, blind's eye. So there should be, there should be four. four. Oh, she's looking for the fifth one. <laughs> I thought you were being four, four is good. You got yes. four? Yeah, I got okay. four. Okay. <laughs> I, see, I want a little extra break. <laughs> Hand me those four eights face up. What's your favorite suit? Spade, diamond, club, or heart? Hearts. Pull the heart. She's a lover. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to leave her other three eights on the bottom of the deck. Everything's face up? Yes? Mm-hmm. Now I'm turning the cards face down. Hand me the eight of hearts face up. Okay. The eight of hearts is on top of the deck. I turned it face down. And now I'm going to deal cards around the table to the other players. And only when I'm ready do I deal the top card. I want you to see the top card is still the eight. Now I'm going to expose what's going on. I'm now dealing cards. But the top card doesn't move. I'm actually dealing under the top card as if I'm dealing the top card called, called dealing seconds. And the first card that was dealt, whichever one it was, I'll reveal it. There's no eight there. I'll deal this again for those that can see and I'll describe for those that can. And I'm doing this for my own edification as well. I want to know what's going on. So here we have the eight on top. I'm in slow motion dealing cards face up on the table. And that is not an eight, is not an eight, is not an eight. Now I'm going to turn the card face up so they can understand and see. Now I'm dealing in slow motion. And even in slow motion, it's hard to tell you're being swindled. Watch. This time I deal it one-handed. Right now I'm dealing cards apparently off the top. I'll turn it face down. And I'm dealing one-handed to the other players. Yet the eight never left the box the top of the deck. That's called dealing seconds. Isn't that sneaky? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, D stands for dreams. E st- oh, are these all face down? Yes. Okay. D stands for dreams. E stands for excellence. What opens doors is becoming an expert achieving a state of excellence. My first director was a man named Steve Terrell. He was a TV and movie star back in the 50s, early 60s. Steve formed a theater company called the Lambs Players. And they have two beautiful theaters in San Diego. And I was with him from 1972 to 78. And during those years, Steve taught me how to play the part of a sighted person. It started when we were on stage rehearsing. And at that time, I had, my macula was gone, so I had no forward vision at all. So just picture a hat in front of your face. And, uh, and my, my peripheral was 20 over 400. So I would, I, my actor I'm, I'm performing for is in front of me. So I would be looking, instead of it looking at 12 o'clock, I'd be looking at it 2 o'clock out of the corner of my eyes. Some of you know what I'm saying? And so, and he goes, Rick, Rick, they call me Rick. He said, that does, just doesn't look right to the audience. You need to look at the actor straight on. He said, you've heard of sighted people playing the part of a blind person. Flip the role. You're a blind person. You play the part of a sighted person. So from then on, he taught me how to square my head towards the voices coming my way. In other words, basically he taught me how to play the part of a sighted person. He would also 
watch me practice with cards before, during, and after scenes. And he says, you love cards. If you become the best card man in the world, you will, you will earn the respect of others and that will open doors for you. He quoted the Apostle Paul who said, run the race to win, become the best. Now, Professor Vernon says something very similar. He said, if you can do anything, it doesn't matter what it is. If you can do anything better than everyone else in the world, people will try to break down your doors to meet you. Professor Sam said something else very interesting. He said, you don't have to worry about looking for money. If you're world class, you don't have to chase after money. Money will find you. It's a byproduct of success and becoming the best. Did Steve Jobs chase after money? Or did he chase after perfection in his product? Anybody that read books on jobs, he was obsessive, man after my own heart. He chased after perfection in his product, and of course, did money find Apple? Big time. In fact, they, uh, they actually gave me my own high-end Apple watch last time I was with them. Okay, enough of that. Um, <laughs> and how does that happen? Two four-letter words. Four-letter words, some of the kids didn't think, today think are cuss words. Those two words are hard work. Yeah. It takes 10 years of hard work to become an overnight success. Many Olympic athletes would argue that spending hours a day in the gym or running dozens of wind sprints on the track is not exactly fun. Still, they love it. But world-class performance requires world-class discipline. And as I like to say, discipline breeds discipline. Discipline breeds discipline. The more you do it, the more you can do of it, and the better you do it. Now, there's another expression that I disagree with, and that is practice makes perfect. Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. You can practice something wrong when you're done, it's perfectly wrong, and in my business, I see that all the time. Perfect practice makes perfect. Malcolm Gladwell talks about the rule of 10,000 hours. Some of you heard of that. He said, to become a true expert, a role master, you must devote at least 10,000 hours to your craft. That breaks down to about three hours a day, seven days a week, for 10 years straight. Now, I've been working with cards for now around 57 years. Shows you I'm an old man. And I've made a living with cards for over 40 years. But there was a period of time when I practiced 10 to 20 hours a day, seven days a week, for 26 years straight. And now because of computers and having to have my hands on the computer board, I only get in like three to 10 hours a day practice. But I'm gonna show you what obsessive compulsive behavior can do for you too. <laughs> Kelly, I want you to pick a number between 10 and 20. Say it out loud. 17. 17. She just asked for 17. I'm going to try to cut with one hand a stack of cards. I just flipped off a stack of cards off the top of the deck. Take those cards and see how close to 17 we got. I'm going to see if I cut 17. Count them out loud. Oh, sorry. One, two, three, four, four. five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. We did it, Kelly. Hang <laughs> the back, face down. We'll do it again. We'll make it more difficult. Any number, 1 to 52. But you don't want to say 52 because I'll pass through the whole deck. Not very impressive. Somebody out there just yelling numbers. 33. I heard 33. I just cut off a stack. I, now They are now in Kelly's hands that fast within less than a second. Count them out loud, one on top of the other. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. I need a breath. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 
27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33. 33. Pastor Bex? Until you go home and try that, you don't realize how tough that is. And, and since I can tell more stories here, I'll tell you a quick story. I went to buy a carpet for one of my homes in San Diego. And I went into the store, and it was the owner. He said, hey, you're Richard Turner. I saw you on that. There was an old TV show called That's Incredible. And he said, I saw you on That's Incredible. And he said, uh, this is my place. I'll help you find your carpet. So we're looking around. He goes, that is so cool how you can hand people exact number of cards. He said, between you and me, you have a special deck. They have little notches in them, little indexing system. I said, I can do it with any deck of cards. He said, no, you can't. I said, I can do it with personal postcards your personal business cards. Anyway, I picked out my carpet. We're in his office. He remembered what I said. He picked up his business cards off his desk and said, are you telling me you can do it with these? I said, sure. Just let me see you do it. I said, what? You don't work for free, so why should I? (laughs) He said, I knew it. You can't do it. I said, tell you what. If I don't get the number you asked for with your business cards, I'll pay double for the carpet I picked out. You have my card. If I get it right, you carpet my house for free. He said, okay, I'll go for that. He asked for 17. I handed him 17. He carpeted my house. (laughs) Do me a favor. Take half the deck, cut it here, and put the other half out. Kelly is cutting the deck and completing the cut. Hopefully it's half and half. It doesn't have to be exact. (laughs) Just just cut it, finish it. Put the other half on top. I put it on top. Finish it, finish it. In other words, finish cutting it. You cut it and finish No, put the other half on top. You didn't finish it. There. As you finish what you start. Okay. <laughs> finish what you start. Now I'll show you another purpose for for being able to pick off exact number of cards. Um, Marjorie, pick a number of players in a card game. Three, four, five. Pick a number. Four. She asked for four players. Do you want to sit at player one, two, three, or four? Where do you want to sit? I'm gonna sit at three. She wants the third, seventh, eleventh, and third, seventh, eleventh, and fifteenth card off the deck. Is that correct? I guess so. Okay. And once again, the only way you're allowed to shuffle and cut, I just gave the deck three shuffles and uh, we give it a cut. And I believe you chose eight. Take the deck. I'm handing the deck back to Kelly and I'm going to want you to deal a card off the top, face up for player number one. Now, I don't know if this is going to work or not because uh, it, this is based on if I miss by 10.3 thousandths of an inch, I'm messed up. Deal a card here, face up player one. Face up number two right here. Okay. Face up number three for Marjorie. What's that card? That's the eight of hearts. Player four for you right here. Okay. Start here, player one. Okay. Face up one. No, one, two. Okay. Two. And, and Marjorie chose number three. What's that card? The eight of clubs. Two eights. Keep going, player four. Okay. Start here again, player one. Player two. Mm-hmm. Player three. What's that card? The eight of spades. Start betting, Marjorie. <laughs> Keep going. Player one, two, and tell us what the last card is. Do we get the last one? The five of diamonds. What was this card over here? Uh, the seven of diamonds. Deal the next card. Okay. The eight of diamonds. Okay. <laughs> but that still gets the money for her. But did you understand what happened there? I shuffled Kelly's cards back in the deck exactly where Marjorie chose and Kelly dealt them to prove that I did it. And I missed one of the four eights. She got three, which is all you need to get the money. Because I missed one of those shuffles by, as I said, in this case, 11.3 thousandths of an inch, the caliper of this particular, the cards in this particular deck. D stands for dreams, E stands for excellence, A stands for analysis. We must analyze our options, we must analyze our assets. Now, my first obstacle to deal with, like probably many of you, was the loss of sight. As I said, I was nine years old when a disease, be- a disease began ravaging the retina in my eyes and I began to go blind. 
One day I could see the chalkboard and the next day I could not. Until my dismay, I shipped off to a special school where they had what was called a VH room. VA stood for visually handicapped. Back then, I hated the word handicapped and I despised the word blind. Now it's visually impaired, which is nice. But anyway, and the sighted students were not very nice to us in the VH department. One kid would come up and flip the bird in front of my face and go, Hey, Magoo, how many fingers am I holding up? And while I was distracted, his friend picked the wallet out of my pocket. He then dangled it in front of my face going, Hey, Magoo, got any money? And when I tried grabbing for my wallet, he threw it over my head to his friend behind me in a cruel game of keep away. And the tease turned ugly when they started slapping me across the face going, can you see to grab your money, blind boy? And the other kid jumped on my back, drove me to the ground, kicked me in the ribs, and they ran off laughing saying, thanks for the money, Magoo. At that time, one of my favorite shows on TV was The Green Hornet, starring Bruce Lee as Cato. And for the first time on television, you saw somebody do a standing split, split, kicking somebody in the face. And I thought, one day I'm going to learn karate and kick in their faces. <laughs> when I first started losing my sight, I was really mad. But the loss of vision turned out to be a blessing from above and one of my greatest assets. Let's talk about assets. If we defeat adversity with honor and integrity, we can turn adversity into an asset and that can lead to prosperity. Adversity leads to prosperity. I heard as a little blind boy, Stevie Wonder could hear a mouse walk. And that is so cool. And he turned that fine sense of hearing into a tremendous musical asset. Now, how does that happen? Tools. We must use all of our tools. We so depend on what we see Especially the side of people, what they see for their impact that they tend to minimize the power of the brain and our other four senses. Hear, smell, taste, touch. <laughs> After people see what I can do with the cards, they often ask, how is it possible to do that? And of course, I understand, understand the subtext of their question is, how can someone take a shuffled deck of cards and deal a winning hand anywhere, anytime, and the guy can't see anything? Now, this may sound peculiar, but to be able to see everything can make us cognitively lazy. In other words, the rich, stunning rushes of visual images constantly streaming into the brain overpowers and dominates the other four senses. It basically blitzes their brains. Also, if we've lost something crucial, does it mean it's over? As we used to say as a kid, no way, Jose. You know, a central theme of modern neuroscience is what is known as brain plasticity. We've all heard how when a person loses one or more of their primary senses, the surviving senses compensate by becoming much sharper. And neuroscientists have found this is partly rooted in a phenomenon known as neuroplasticity, where neurons, we're talking about dead neurons, the ones that should be responsible for the vision, regenerate or reorganize themselves around one or more of the surviving senses. When my vision started going south, I was blessed in two ways. One was with an enhanced sense of touch, and the other was the ability to see without sight. Now that sounds kind of bizarre, see without sight. I have a very rare condition called, in French it's Charles Bonnet syndrome, in English it's Charles Bonnet syndrome, the acronym is CBS. And Charles, uh, Dr. Oliver Sacks calls it, calls it seeing with the mind's eye. Anybody out there have CBS, Charles Bonnet syndrome? Yell it out if you do. Oh good, come up visit with me later, because it's, it's so rare, up until 1990 there were six documented cases, then uh, Sachs documented dozens of others. And I'm probably the most extreme case, and for those that don't know what it is, it's a condition where a, sighted per, a, a, visual, a person that sees nothing, for some unexplainable reason, still sees colors, patterns, shapes, images, and I, 
to explain what I see, I basically see a 360 degree kaleidoscope of every image color you can imagine. And I don't see these images in the back of the brain like when you're dreaming or imagining things. I can look at them. I see them in front of me just as clearly as a sighted person sees what's in front of them. And these reds, blues, yellows, greens are just as vivid if my eyes are open, closed, if it's day or it's pitch black night and I'm locked in a vault. Now here's the cool thing. And I've not found, my, my sister can do this, but I can write in the air. I'll say I want to remember a phone number. I write in the air just as, just as clearly. I'll see it just as clear as you'll see it on a computer screen or a chalkboard. I have, I, my mind will take a picture of it because I've, I have what's called an eidetic memory. I never forget it. And using the mind's eye, I've designed and built houses, patio decks, furniture, board, created board games, puzzle games, uh, produced an eight-volume video series on advanced card type of technique used by the casinos and gamers around the world, earned a six-degree black belt, wrote a novel, as well as developed the card skills you're watching. Now, I'm going to, we're going to have a little fun together, and I know we've been running uh, a little way behind on time, but we'll... You want me to shut it down now? Yeah. Oh, you the I got it. Okay. Just move it aside. Okay. Well, this is supposed to be an hour program. Okay, but I'm gonna, I'll try to cut it a little bit. But this is a fun thing. What's that card? That, it's an A. Oh, with those cards out of the way. Okay, so we have A and a B and a C. I came up with this game when I was 11 years old. One, two, three. So I have a three, two, one, yes? Yes. Now we, what the object is, we took the three face down on the C, mix up the other two, and the object is to get them in order on a three, two, one, only moving one card at a time, and you can't put a high card on a low card. So what's this card? That is a two. Two. I can put it anywhere because there's nothing on the table. And this is a one. Oh <clears throat> I'll put it on A just for the sake of learning. The three can't go anywhere because it's higher than the two and the one. So it has to stay on three. Now you got to get the a three on A. So I move the one to the two. Put the three on A. Now you got to get the two on the three. But the one's in the way. So I move the one to the two. Two on the three. One on the two. Now we're going to play. I'll, I'll just play a level five. And I'm going to let... Kelly's going to move the cards, and I'm going to play it in my mind while she moves the cards. Is that a five? Yes, it's five. Okay, put the five face down on the C. Okay. Put it face down on the C. Take the one, two, four, mix them face up. Okay. Face, turn them all to the other. Turn them face down, and then turn them face down. Okay. Mix them up, put them face down on the C. And we're going to see her C and me telling what to do if she can keep up with my mind, playing it in the mind. Put the and face down on the C, you said? Okay, so okay. face down on top of the five. Okay, turn over the first card, tell me what it is. Uh, first card is a one. Put it on A. Next card. Oh, I, I moved the A. I'm sorry. Put, move, oh, put, there should be A, B, C. Put the one on the A. And put that or rotate them so you could okay. face you. Okay. Right, put the one on A. Okay. Next card. On top. On top of it. On top of on it. Top. Yeah. Otherwise, you get, is that the one? That's the A. Okay. Okay. We'll put the one on top of the A. <laughs> I'm ruining everything. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Is that the one? Yeah. That's okay. The one. On top. So otherwise, okay. you can mess yourself up. Turn on the next card quickly. Two. Put it. Uh, put on B. Next card. Five. Oh, a five. Okay, we're doing a five. Okay, put the one on the two. Uh, put the one on the two. Put the five on on the A. Okay. Turn over the next card. What is it? It is a three. Okay. Put the put the one on the three. Put the two on the on the A. Put the one on the two. Put the three in the middle. Oh my gosh, I can't. Okay. Put the one on C. <laughs> put the two in the middle. Put the one on the two. Turn over the four. Put it on the five. Okay. okay. You should right now. You should have three, two, one in the middle. 
Turn over the four, put it on the five. Okay. <laughs> okay. And we're playing the lowest level. Now put the one on the four. Put the one on the four. Put the two on the C. Put the one on the C. Put the two on the three. Put the one on the middle. Put the two on the three. Put the one on the two. You should have five, four, three, two, one on scramble. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> For time's sake, we're going to let her ride. Take those cards. You can take them home and keep them. Put them all together. And okay. Put them all together. Put a rubber band on their ears. Okay. I'm sure most of you know that the density of of nerve endings in the fingers is higher than in any other part of the flesh. However, gentlemen, we know there's one exception to this case. <laughs> so, so who has the advantage here? The side people, they have to have cards face up to see what they are. I have x-ray fingers, I don't. And as Kelly checked, these are not Braille cards. And thanks to my touch with the cards, I've had the privilege of entertaining the rich, famous, and infamous from around the world. I've entertained legends. See if some of you remember these names, like Johnny Carson, Gene Kelly, Gregory Peck, Jimmy Stewart, Bob Hope. But I, I have entertained. If you mention those names to the kids today, they have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> and I've entertained uh, contemporary people like Bob Odenkirk, Better Call Saul. I cheated Brad Pitt in the Oscar-nominated film The Tree of Life. And I can also say that I kidnapped and hugged by the three-time boxing heavyweight champion of the world, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. I was in a casino when four big African-American men snatched me. They shoved me off the back of the door, pushed me in a limo, the limo zipped away, pulled up behind another casino. They pushed me through where Ali came running up, threw his arms around me in a big bear hug and said, Richard, how you doing? It's so good to see you again. Well, Ali heard how I could find randomly selected cards under seemingly impossible circumstances. I'll show you a thing. Is there something that we need over there? No. Okay. Okay. Um, we're going to have Marjorie. Would you touch a card? She's just going to take one. Got one? Okay. Okay. Just take one out. Take it out. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, would you point to someone out there? Just... Can you see your card, Marjorie? Peter. You can't see it? Yeah, actually. Okay. I pointed Just set it right here. Okay. okay. Just set it right here. Okay. Okay. Now touch another one. Okay. Take it out. Okay. Okay. That one. Okay. Show that one. Yeah. Show, show, that, show that one to Peter. Set it right here. Okay. Set it over the other way. Okay. Would you touch a card for me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just grab just, one. Just grab one. Yes. Okay. Show that one to someone over there. Okay. Okay. And... Just say, just say stop. Okay, stop. Okay, grab one for yourself. Okay. Okay, everybody show each other, look at the cards. So we have four random selected cards. Now, say stop, Kelly. Stop. Drop your card back in the deck, oh, face down. Okay. Your card. Your card. Your card. Okay. No, no, just your card. Okay. Okay, got your card in there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, her job is to follow a card. I'm giving the deck a bunch of cuts, seven cuts and a half a second, and a bunch of riffle shuffles. And her job is to follow the card. You following? Now. Okay. <laughs> now grab whoever's card is over here. This one. Um, Say stop. Okay. Right here. Say stop. Stop. Drop it. Put it back on the deck. So we have another card. And we will give the deck a bunch of random cuts. And some people think they're on the top. We'll check the two top cards and the two bottom cards. Negatory. And would you grab uh, Peter Korn's card? Okay. And put it back. Just set it in the deck there for Peter. And by the way, Peter, I love my Alexa. <laughs> she is so wonderful. Okay, and uh, oh, let me give the deck a few cards. And you have your card too, yes? Put your card on top. Okay. So right now it's on top. I can find out that fast, so can Peter. Cut half the deck here, put the other half on top. Cut it and then finish the cut. And then put the other half. Very good. So if it's on top, you're fast. I'll give the deck a couple shuffles. Because we, I know we're running on, running short on time. Okay, and we'll start 
You cut the deck margarine and then put the other half on top. Cut it and finish it. So she just cut the deck and let's see if she cut her card. Is that your card? Yes or no? No. That's, oh, you need my help. Would you like me to cut your card to the top of the deck, bottom, or right out of the middle? In the middle. Right out of the middle. Here, I'm going to take the deck. I'm twisting it counterclockwise in two, two sections, and one card is falling out of the middle of the deck. What was your card? That's my card, six of spades. Six of spades. That was her card. Would you cut the deck? Cut, oh, cut it again for, uh, for okay. Peter. Okay. Cut it and finish it. Okay. And is that Peter's card? No. No. Top, bottom, middle. What do you want, Peter? I'd like it on the bottom, please. To the bottom. Here's a quick question. Do you remember the suit of your card? I what, do. what was your suit? It was a spade. And what is that? That's the four of spades. Was that your four of spades? Um, yes. Yes, okay. Well. <laughs> cut the deck. Okay. Finish it. Cut it for whoever that is over there that had a card. Okay. Finish it. Okay. Is that the card for the third person? Yes, it was. What was his card? Uh, Jack of Hearts. Is that your card, Jack of Hearts? It's just me. <laughs> no, huh? It's just me. Yeah, there's there's not another person. Okay, so you had the Jack Hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we cut. She she actually cut that one, and I'm going to cut one that's similar. What's that? That is a Jack of, of uh, Diamonds. See, that's the one that he she actually took, but she didn't remember the suit. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So shuffle the cards again. Okay. Shuffle the cards real quick. <laughs> Give it a quick shuffle. Okay. 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 Now, re- re- reach in there and pull out a card. Okay. Grab a card. She's taking another card. Got it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now, I'm going to take your card face down. Okay. I'm going to hand it over to Marjorie. Okay. Okay, so that's your card, okay? Okay, it's my card. That's your card. Show everybody. You can show the audience. Show the camera. Show, or you can yell it out or pass it to Peter. He'll spread rumors. <laughs> okay. Say stop. Stop. Okay, drop the card. Put the card back. So she's now putting the card back in the deck of the, and we're burying it. We're giving it a bunch of cuts and I'm just going to, I'll start with, I'll start with, I'll start with uh, Marjorie. Marjorie, what is that card out loud? Can you see it? Ace of, Ace of spades. Uh, so I have a card faced up on the table, Ace of spades. Would you do me a favor, put your fingers straight up and down like that. Straight up and down, Ace. And what's that card, Miss Kelly? It's the four of spades. On the, de- on the table, I have a face up Four of spades. Is that your? Put your finger like that. Is that your card? Yes or no? Uh, Would you take out the deck earlier? First um, card. I think it was an. It was an ace of spades. Oh, she had the ace of spades. Yeah, yeah. What did you take? What did you I, just take out? I had taken ace of spades. But no, no. What was the card you just? Your, your card you just selected. Ace of spades. No, that's the one you have on your. You're holding. She had the ace of spades. What did you have? You looked at it a minute ago. It was ace of spades with the one you. With the one you looked at a minute ago. I think it was a jack of diamonds. Jack of diamonds. What's that card? Jack of diamonds. What's under your finger? It is the Ace of Spades. Okay. So for a second, though, I thought the lady screwed up. Okay. Probably. D stands for dreams. E stands for excellence. A stands for else. L stands for loyalty. We must be loyal to our company, colleagues, and customers. And to reach the top of whatever you love, you must create within yourself and for your company a value greater than what you were hired to do. And we must be passionate about what we do. Because there's no stronger emotional component for success than passion. I was obviously passionate about cards. Started in the 70s, 80s, I was hired to entertain. But as an added bonus, I got my client, my performing venues, what is known in the, in the industry as earned media. Some of you may not be familiar, familiar with that expression. What it means is I got them, I got their name mentioned on priceless Free national and international publicity, worldwide television, newspaper figures, magazine cover stories. So we must analyze what personal passion, attribute, talent we have 
that we can develop to become a greater asset for our company or just to reach our own personal dreams. We also must be loyal to virtues such as honesty and integrity. If we choose to cheat to reach the top, even five aces will be a loser. Now I have a deck here shuffled by, shuffled by Marjorie. I'm gonna cut some cards out of the deck. What are those cards, Marjorie? Four aces. I just, out of the middle of the deck, I cut four cards. Well, I'm going to cut one. There's an old West tombstone that reads, played five aces, now plays a harp. Let's see what this last card is. What's that? That is the ace of spades. So five aces, bang, you're dead. <laughs> and, and because of my card skills, I could be a very rich dead man. Starting in the early 80s, my notoriety with the cards began filtering down to the ears of the underworld. And I've been wined and dyed by some very powerful crime families. One mobster, after seeing what I could do with the card, says, we'll give you a grand a day to come work for us. I said, uh, no thanks. He said, 2K a day. Again, I politely refused. He said, how much will it cost to buy you? I instantly had visions of waking up with a horse's eye lying next to me. <laughs> Another offer came from the Middle East. to start off with a phone call. A very strongly accented voice wanted to talk to me about doing business. I said, meet me aboard the riverboat where I was a nightly entertainment. I get aboard a boat. It was a party of five men of Middle Eastern descent and only one spoke English. The interpreter threw a stack of bills on my table and said, let's see what you can do with those cards. I showed him, he said, we give you $10,000 a week to come to the Middle East and play cards for oil money. I said, uh, no thanks. He said, he argued with his boss in some foreign language. He said, how about 20000 a week? Again, I said, no, he said, 30000 a week. Finally, he said, how about a million dollars? Now, he didn't say if that was by the week, but I did say no. Irritated, they threw another stack of bills on my table and left. Because there were so many, I thought they were all ones and fives. They were all $100 bills. I still had a good night, didn't have to compromise my values. D stands for dreams, E stands for excellence, A stands for analysis, L stands for loyalty, T stands for tenacity. I like that word tenacity, it's fun to say. And what is tenacity? Tenacity breaks down the barriers that stand between us and our dream. As I said, my other dream, you know, I'll finish this off real quick, about three minutes. My other dream was to kick like Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris was also teased and harassed as a kid. And like Master Norris, I started karate training. My karate instructor was Master John Murphy. Murphy took me from a 110-pound scrawny, asthma-ridden, at that time only a legally blind wimp, to a master six-degree black belt. And Murphy had what was considered one of the most difficult black belt tests in the country. To earn a black belt under this crazy man Murphy, you had to fight a 10, three-minute round bout with a fresh black belt each round. And Murphy didn't want to deal with lawsuits, so most of the testing took place uh, in Tijuana, at the Tijuana. And one year at the Tijuana Forum, I was one of three people that backed the great Chuck Norris in a showdown against a group calling themselves the Black Federation. And I was by far the weakest link and hoped that confrontation did not escalate. Unfortunately for me, one stern look from the master Chuck Norris, the Federation backed down and left. Now I realized if I was going to survive fighting 10 men, I had to overcome the paralyzing effects of fear. And like they say on That's Incredible, don't try this at home. I started climbing thousand foot cliffs, I learned to swing on the trapeze, took 40 foot high falls, I would tightrope around the rim of multi-story buildings, and I hunted sharks. Murphy also said you have, need to have a body of steel. I flashed back to my childhood memories of Charlton Heston chained to the ship, pulling the oars with his big bulging biceps. Now that image of strength always encouraged me to want to be strong, stronger, so I trained harder. 
And Murphy pushed me to the point of being able to do 500 push-ups, 12 minutes, 9 seconds. I topped out at 340 on the bench press. I could military and curl more than my body weight, and I could do the splits across two chairs and touch my head to the floor. It took 13 years and three months of constant training before I was finally ready to take on the 10 men. And because of my card notoriety, the pressure was on me big time because the TV and print media were there, including ABC News and one of the largest papers in the country, the Los Angeles Times. And before the test, Murphy said, relax. All you have to do is come out alive with spirit. I asked exactly what does that mean, alive with spirit? He said, even if your teeth have been punched down your throat, you're still smiling. Well, during the test, I hit some of these guys so hard I knocked them silly, but they were fresh and I was not. When it was all said and done, I had one bruise, started at my head, ended at my toe. I had a smashed bloody nose, ruptured right eardrum. I had my groin kicked in my throat. The groin was an open target. And I fought the last three and a half rounds of the broken right arm. Heavyweight champion Mexico, I caught a roundhouse, kicked two inches above my elbow and snapped the arm. So I fought three and a half rounds with a broken arm. And the next, next day, the whole bloody mess was spread across the front page of the Los Angeles Times sports section. Now, I don't recommend that, recommend that we use our faces to block punches. It hurts. But I just say we can face our fears and we can surmount them. And one other thing, yeah, one other thing, does it, yeah, anyway, <laughs> one guy I like was Beethoven. In Beethoven's later years, he was deaf. It was during those years he created some of the greatest music in the history of the world. He had pressed his ear to the piano and hit the chords with such force, the sound would vibrate in his head. That's tenacity of purpose. In closing, really quick, I many times have the privilege of speaking to our young, our kids and our next generation. I like to tell them, in the game of life, stay focused on your game. Don't let anyone tell you, you can't play or something's impossible. Take possible out of impossible. I understand that time to time we're all dealt a bad hand or two, but it's how we approach that hand. If we choose to fold or go all in, that's what separates losers from the winners. You know, respectful success comes from the, those who go for their dreams, achieve a state of excellence, analyze their obstacles and assets, stay loyal to virtues such as honesty and integrity, and have the tenacity to break down any barrier. D-E-A-L-T, winning with the hand you have been dealt. Now, in closing, watch one, one last thing. Watch this carefully. Here's something you never do when you play cards for money. I have a deck in each hand. I have now separated them in two separate piles. I'm interlacing them and shuffling a deck, one in each hand. When, you see, when people see that, they get nervous. Now, when they see you shuffle with one hand while you triple cut with the other hand, they get up and run. You're left playing, with your, playing by yourself. Anyway, I hope you all had fun. I know it's been a long morning, and I appreciate you hanging in there. Thank you very much. You're all wonderful. Bless you all. Thank you, Marjorie. Thank you, Marjorie. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. And thank you all for having me. Thank and you, I Richard. You Big round of applause for Richard. For those of you that would like to meet Richard in person, tonight at 8 o'clock in Midway 6, there will be an audio described showing of his documentary, Delt. Again, that's at 8 o'clock in Midway 6. Richard will also be there to answer questions and talk to folks after the showing and before the showing. After that, we will have an audio-described showing of the NCIS episode, Sight Unseen, with the blind actress, Marilee Talkington. And she will also be present to ask questions to. 
So for those of you, it's free. There's no charge. Might even have a little popcorn. So 8 o'clock tonight in Midway 6. And once again, let's give a huge round of applause to Richard Turner. I wish he would have been with us in Reno last year because I could have used him at the blackjack table. All right, next we're going to do, I apologize for this. I apologize. I apologize. What'd you say, Kim? She apologizes. We are running behind schedule. So if you need to take a break, please, and I know you're already doing this, but please uh, feel free to excuse yourself and take the break. But we're going to keep on moving. We are going to now do, uh, while you're, everybody kind of wrestles around and takes a little, little move towards the restrooms or what they need to do, we're going to do two or three door prizes, and then we're going to hear from Karen Kenninger from NLS. So, all right, door prizes. Peggy Smith. All right. I need Darren. Denny. Okay. Denny Huff. All right. Sorry. Okay. We have, and this is for a keychain and ten dollars. Ron Brooks. Phoenix, Ron Arizona. Brooks, Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, that was his wife, Lisa. <laughs> okay. Congratulations, Ron. All right. Next name. That's to Ron. Hold your hand up so they can find you, Ron. Okay. Next name. Mark Bolger, please come to the uh, head table and pick up your Amazon prize. We have Tracy George. Brookhaven, Georgia. Kate, what's the prize? Is she here? What's the prize? Oh. She she has decided if she's here yet. She wants to know what the prize is. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Um, What's the prize on there? Macarons, macaroni What's the grill. It's a macaroni grill. It's a whole macaroni grill. It's yeah. a cold deal. <laughs> They're not doing too well. They're, they have... <laughs> How much? No, just kidding. Dollars. It's a gift certificate to macaroni $25. grill. $25. $25. And it's... George, George, what was the name again? Is she here? What was the name one more time? Tracy George. Tracy George. Tracy George. Are you present? Tracy George. Okay, next name. Jeff Bishop Kirkland. Jeff Bishop Washington. Washington. Jeff Bishop. Is Jeff here? All right, can you take that to him? All right, Jeff, congratulations. Okay, we have a keychain and $10. And we have, hang on, I got to dig a little deeper. Here we go. Sandra Edwards, Little Rock, Arkansas. Sandra Edwards, Little Rock, Arkansas. Yes. Is she here? Yes. All right. Congratulations. All right. I have one more. This is the last one. Okay. Here we go. Might as well. Okay. This is a gift certificate for $10 to Noodles. And we have... It's next door to Macaroni Grill. (laughs) I guess so. Patrick Moody, St. Louis, Missouri. Patrick Moody, are you in the house? All right. Thank you, Patrick. And thank you, Peggy Smith and the Door Prize team. Thank you.
All right. Next, we're going to hear. We're good. Okay. Yeah, she's okay. Next, we're going to hear from Karen Kenninger from the National Library Service. She's the director for the Blind and Physically Handicapped Division. So, Karen, welcome to ACB. Good morning, ACB. It is one of my favorite times of the year when I get to speak to you guys about the thing that I am personally the most passionate about, and that is the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. So thank you for inviting me, Kim and all, and um, I'm going to talk this morning about um, two things. I'm going to talk a little bit about what we've been accomplishing this past year since I spoke with you last, and then I'm going to talk to you about our future. So during this past year, we've been working very hard to look at the NLS service and to look at how we are going to be going forward. So we contracted with a consulting firm, which is a government thing, I understand. But anyway, um, to look at several things, we asked them to look at the concept of what does the next generation um, talking book machine look like? Should it be something that is a... Uh, commercial off-the-shelf kind of product, or should it be something that we design as we always have done? The answer will come in a minute. <laughs> um, we also worked on... Excuse me, just one second. There we go. <laughs> have to capture Jimmy. Um, we also worked on the Braille e-reader concept. Now, some of you may remember that from the time that I became this, took this position, my goal has been to get Braille e-readers, refreshable Braille devices, into the NLS program for all Braille readers so that everybody will have the benefit... The benefit that I'm, I'm taking advantage of right now with, with a Braille e-reader that I'm reading my notes off of, we want to be able to do that and that when I started the, the, pro, um, the technology wasn't there to, in, in an affordable way. And over the past six years, and it's been six years I guess, um, there has been a lot of progress in that. So this last year, one of the things that we did was to partner with Perkins, thank you Perkins, for uh, a pilot project with Braille e-readers. Um, Perkins purchased the Orbit readers and sent them out to several of their, well, many of their, of their patrons, and we worked on that, and we learned several things. One of the things that we learned was, yes, we like Braille e-readers. And another thing that we learned was they're not 100% quick and easy to learn, so there's got to be a little bit of training. So those were a couple of, I think, important things. We will have a wrap-up report by the end of the year. Um, so that, that was one of our projects. Another of our projects this year was something called MOCA. Now, MOCA was only, we only had about 150, I think, of those sent out to patrons around the country. But the purpose of MOCA, which we called the mobile, what did we call it? Cartridge, thank you. <laughs> I was going to say mailman. But anyway, the mobile cartridge was to find out several things about digital delivery. Because digital delivery is in our future. So these, these products, which we made pretty much in our laboratory, were sent out to people at, with um, 
the ability to have the, them automatically download things off of the wish list in BARD. The people that we sent them out to don't want to give them up. <laughs> Bec- because rather than, rather than getting their books through the mail, they now pop a cartridge into this device, pull it out, and it's got a new book on it. Um, we won't be doing those in a big way, but we do know that we will need some kind of delivery system that is that quick, that simple, and that reliable. We also learned a lot about data delivery, like in some parts of your house you can't get it, in other parts you can, and some other things. Um, more on that in a minute, too. So another thing that I have wanted to do since I've started, and I think we've wanted to do as a, as a system forever, is to increase the number of people who actually use the program. We know that there have been a lot of people who could have used it a lot earlier if they'd only known about it. So we were fortunate enough to be able to launch an ad campaign um, this past February that runs on television, radio, and um, internet resources to promote the NLS program. Has anybody seen it? Awesome. Um, So anyway, we've got really good results in terms of callbacks from that ad campaign. We don't yet know what the conversion rate is. That is to say how many people actually signed up or will sign up for the service once they've called back and got more information. But it's been very positive, and I'm, I'm excited because I think that we will definitely make some inroads in, in terms of reaching those people who are out there who just did not know that NLS even existed. We've been, as you know, using more and more commercial books in our program in the last couple of years, and this past year, one of the benefits of being able to use commercial books is that when a book is really, really hot in the news and everybody is going to be reading it when it's released on a given day, we want to be there too. Fire and Fury. So, Fire and Fury, yes. And also the Comey book. We were able to get those out the very same day that the public, sighted public was able to get them. And I was really very pleased about that. Um, We've also found a way to increase the number of titles that we have in order to fill in old series. I know some of you love to read your series and you've been not real happy with the fact that we have great gaps in them. So we are filling some of those series out. Now, the problem with having so many books to do, and we've increased the number by 250% since I started, by the way, My pleasure. One of the problems with that is that our system requires a certain level of um, money and a certain (laughs) level of of product. And in order to add a lot more books, we we came to the point where we were not able to put them all on cartridges with specialized labels and send them out to the libraries to put on their cartridge on their shelves. Some of the books that we're adding, and they're all the, mostly the older books, are barred only. So they're not put on cartridges, and they're not put in TBT. Now, some of you use barred, yes? Awesome. <laughs> but some of you don't. Anybody admitting you don't? <laughs> okay. 
So those of you who don't will be able to get a hold of these, these books also because the network libraries can provide them to you. One of the things that the, net we are, that the network libraries are beginning to do, and some of you who live in certain parts of the country, Iowa, Kentucky, uh, some places have already experienced this, but the libraries are finding that it is more efficient to actually provide you with a cartridge with books on it that you want to read as a customized cartridge just for you than to be pulling books off the shelf one at a time, sending them out in the mail, getting them back the way we have always done. So over the next couple of years, I think what you will see is more more libraries going to this new system where the books or the cartridges are actually developed specifically for each patron, so you will get the exact books that you want and you'll get them in the quantity that you want. Now there are this is going to require the use of the bookshelf on the talking book machine for those of you who are still getting things in the mail. And some people have a little trouble with that. The people who, who are, are not comfortable using the bookshelf will be able to get cartridges or get books one at a time on their cartridges if they want. But the people who are comfortable with them are getting 10, sometimes 15 or 20 books on a cartridge and um, really enjoying the opportunity to do what those of us who download do now, which is to hoard a bunch of books and read the ones we feel like today. So, so that will be coming to, to your, your network libraries as well. As I said, we've been looking at the future of NLS as well. And I must tell you, I am very excited about our future. Because... One of the things that I heard you cheer about this morning was BARD. Yes? And the other thing that got the biggest cheer, as I could read it, was the Amazon Echo. <laughs> well, what does that have to do with the NLS program? What it has to do with the NLS program is this. The talking book system that we have had for many years has always been based on a device that the NLS program has developed, and it is based on physical objects that have been sent through the mail. And that has worked very well. And we do love our talking book machines. They were very carefully designed, and they're a really fine piece of equipment. But we also have a lack of flexibility when it comes to taking advantage of new technologies. We're tied right now to the digital talking book machine. We've ex uh, gone into, you know, BARD Mobile, so that has helped tremendously for the people who use BARD. But the problem is that, although we have a lot of enthusiastic BARD users here in this room, the... Um, the percentage of the NLS population who actually uses BARD is like 10 to 15 percent. Yeah, it's really low. And I think I know why. I think the reason that it is so low is that BARD requires some technology and some technology skills that just are not comfortable for some of our patrons, for a lot of our patrons. You either have to use a computer with a sophisticated system of, of um, screen reader or screen enlargement or whatever and then transfer it to the cartridge. Even with BART Express, you still have to have all that infrastructure. 
it's, or you can use it on a mobile device, but the mobile devices, which are accessible, aren't all that easy to use and um, in, in a certain way. I use an iPhone, and this morning I downloaded the program because I needed to figure out when I was speaking. I thought that would be helpful. <laughs> and what I got was a document that I had to swipe forever and ever and ever through, and I never did find what I was looking for. Um, <laughs> Uh, it, there, it's the, the mobile technology with the touchscreen technology for a lot of us is just not the panacea that, that we thought it might be. But guess what? I talk to my iPhone as much as possible. I love to dictate. That was the first thing I discovered. Because typing on that on-screen keyboard is kind of a pain, right? But I dictate to it. Now, there are some disadvantages to dictating. I will grant you that. When I sign my name, Karen Keninger, it says, Karen can injure. <laughs> Whoa, yes. So then I thought, okay, I'll say Karen Keninger. And it said, Karen can anger. Whoa. <laughs> Well, that could be, but it wasn't really what I wanted to say. So you do kind of have to be careful about that. <laughs> but the point is that I also talk to my Alexa. And I say, Alexa, play some smooth jazz. And Alexa pops up with some smooth jazz. I say, Alexa, play Turn, Turn, Turn by the birds. And it says, I will play, and I always forget the title because it's not Turn, Turn, Turn. It's something else. But Alexa knows what it is, so she plays it anyway. <laughs> so my point here is we're in the, getting in the habit of talking to our devices. And that's something that doesn't take any technical skill. It might take a little bit of memory, do I say, play or start or read. But it doesn't take any technical skill. So, my thinking is that the NLS program will jump over or abandon, well, not quite, but almost, uh, keyboards and touch screens and go directly to voice interface. So what we'll be looking at for talking books is a device, I don't know what it'll look like exactly, it could look like my smartphone, it could like, look like, it doesn't matter what it looks like, because what I'll do, I'll talk to it, and I will, I'll tell it what I want, and it'll come back, and it'll walk me through the process, and I'll get the books that I want. Now some people don't want to order their books directly, so this device will also be able to have this, what we are calling the mocha mode, where it, you, it just pushes a couple of books to you. Each time you want a new book, you say, new book, and it sends you a new book, based on your preferences. So we've got both options. We're going to be able to search and download anything we want, and we're going to be able to um, receive books um, that are sent by the library. That does, I don't know what the device will look like per se. As I said, the form factor isn't terribly important as long as it's got a good talk button on it. Um, we'll be using digital delivery. Now this is a nut we have not cracked yet. Let me ask you this. How many of you have Wi-Fi in your homes? Yeah. Awesome. 
How many of you have cell, cell data plans? How many of you would be willing or are willing to use your cell data or and or your Wi-Fi systems to download talking books? How many of you don't have Wi-Fi at home? Okay. These are questions that we're going to have to refine, but this is, a, this is very helpful um, because we're going to have to find out who has it who, and who we would need to supply um, and how we're going to pay for it. All those things are yet to be determined, but they will be determined because I am confident that we will find our way through. We're going to be um, asking for funding in 2020 to do two things, one of which is to buy more Braille e-readers. We're buying Braille e-readers this uh, fall, or hopefully. Um, we put out a request for proposal, and we expect, we haven't put it out yet. It's going to go out in the next couple weeks, I hope. And we will look at, at the responses that we get on Braille e-readers. I know now there are four or five potential contenders for Braille e-readers. Some people think that I've been talking about the Orbit all along. I'm not discounting the Orbit, but I'm just saying there are other options. Um, so we will be putting, we will be purchasing for piloting purposes um, Braille e-readers next spring. We'll get, be getting them out in the field. And we will eventually be going to a completely, almost completely um, digital Braille program to match our digital talking book program. The only difference is that we will continue to provide Braille on demand for certain types of things um, when, when required. So there are a lot of changes that are coming. We have a lot of work to do to find out how to do exactly the things that we want to do. But with your support, and your continued enthusiasm about the National Library Service Program, I know that we are going to get to a vision of a even better, more flexible, and, and more wonderful program with more books, digital delivery, and be able to serve more people. Thank you all very much. And for those of you, uh, I know many of you are, that would like to have a better chance to talk to Karen, she will be at Lua this afternoon uh, in their regularly scheduled program. So please stop by and see Karen. All right, Karen, great job. Next, I'm very honored to introduce to you the new executive director of the World Blind Union, Jose Marie Vieira. Jose is from, originally from Argentina. He's fluent in three languages. I can't even speak English. And he, he's spectacular in Spanish and French and in English. He's a, He's a young father, and him and his family have just relocated to Toronto, Canada, where he will take on full responsibilities and duties as our new executive director of the World Blind Union. We're very honored to introduce Jose. Give him a big round of applause. Here we are, Jose. 
Got it? Yeah, I got it. All right. Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, let me first um, express and, uh, and personally thanks um, the ACB family in the person of uh, Kim Charlson for inviting me and um, allowing the World Blind Union to share with you some of um, our work. Um, as um, I don't know who introduced me, sorry for that the... Dam, as Dam mentioned, I'm originally from Argentina, and you know I did prepare this presentation like three days ago, and actually the first two lines were basically to tell you how fabulous we were performing in the World Cup. Unfortunately, yesterday we lost again France, so I should escape the first two lines of my presentation and try to forget about the World Cup in Russia this year and cross finger for the next one. In any case, um, as I said, I'm originally from Argentina. I have moved to Canada two months ago, and um, it's such a pleasure for me to be here with you. It's the first time I had the chance to share uh, with, uh, with, with some people from the States uh, like a national convention like you are having uh, these days, and I really congratulate for your work, but especially for the entire work you do through uh, the years, and especially in the U.S., but also abroad. Um, so, the World Blind Union was created in 1944 as a result of a big effort of many national leaders who strongly believed, and they were totally convinced that blind people can not only create uh, national organizations that can advocate for our rights, but also that those national organizations can come together and create a better international scenario for our community. When we look at the recent um, research done around how many persons with disabilities are around the world, we can look at the World Health Organization, one of the UN agencies, that in 2011 um, said that there were around 1 billion persons with disabilities living worldwide. That means if we were all persons with disabilities, we shared the same nationality, we were the third biggest nation in the world after China and India. But if we look at more in details, how many of those one billion persons with disabilities are visually impaired, either blind or low vision, we say that almost 250 millions of those one billions are visually impaired. So you can kind of have an idea that one quarter of, one fourth of those persons with disability communities are members of blind communities around the world. And that basically puts us in a position where we can say that among other disability groups, we are one of the most popular groups or most strong communities when we talk about advocacy and perhaps human rights. 
The World Bank Union represents again the interests of one sorry of 250 millions of blind and partially sighted persons around the world. We are structured in six regional organizations. The North American and Caribbean is the one that ACB is part of. But also we do have the Latin American Blind Union, the African Union of the Blind, the Asia Blind Union, the Asia Pacific Union of the Blind, and the European Blind Union. So you can see that we are in each continent present, but not only through our six regional organizations, but also through more than 190 different national organizations. WBU has presence in more than 193 countries around the world. We operate not only through our six regional organizations, but also through a long list of partners and different members of WBU who can actually make possible that our work is reached to the right persons around the world. We do represent not only adults, but also children with visually impaired. And what I would say, it's something that we should be very proud of, is that we do not only represent blind and partially sighted persons, but also under those 200 million and 50 persons with visually impaired, we are migrants, we are workers, we are women, we are children, we are um, indigenous people, we are First Nations people, we are um, students, we are professionals, we are in the end part of different groups, social groups, but we all come together and the idea of advocating for the rights of blind and partially sighted persons around the world. And, and this is something that we should not only be proud of, but also feel very responsible for. Because this is not just about what we, what we are, who we are, but also what is the work ahead of us, right? And, and, and when I say that, is, uh, let me briefly explain to you some of the key works or the, or the key areas where we work in as WBU. The first area, which is one of our most important commitment, is to make sure that our human rights are protected and promoted. But not only as a way of promoting social inclusion, but also to make sure that we do live the life we choose. And in that line, the WBU has played a significant and key role in promoting and adopting the Convention on the Right of Persons with Disabilities. This convention is basically not only the most important convention for us as blind persons, but also a way to show to the international community and especially to governments that our rights are equally important to other people's rights. 
that we can, that we are entitled to equally enjoy the right to education, the right to employment, the right to live independent and be included in the community, to live the life we choose in different ways, like social participation, access to cultural, sports, and other activities, health, rehabilitation, access, for example, to civic, political, and cultural rights. And that's something that for, probably for ACB and some of the people here in this room are something that is not totally new. But for some other brothers and sisters around the world, this type of rights are something that they cannot enjoy yet. And we do have to make sure that we do our best to contribute for our brothers and sisters around the world to live the life we want and probably as you guys are enjoying it in the States these days. You should be very proud of what ACB and other organizations in the States have achieved and make sure that we can contribute at the international level for our brothers and sisters around the world to do what they want in the way they want. And this is something that we try to do through the World Land Union. But going back to some of the other areas that we work in, I said that the WBU has played a key role in promoting and adopting the CRPD, the Convention on the Right of Persons with Disabilities. But again, and this is something that we should be very proud of, we, after the ratif ratification of and, and, and placing force of the, of the CRPD, the Convention of the Right of Persons with Disability, the blind community sat down and said, what is next? And we figured out that one of our most important rights is the access to information. If we do not have the right to access to books, if we do not have the, access, the right to access to uh, information, we were not in a position to, for example, study, uh, be employed, and develop ourselves. So, a few years ago, very strong national leaders... Some of them are present here, and some of them are from the states, said we want a specific treaty for blind and partially sighted persons. And that's the Marrakesh Treaty. Yeah. And this is, this is something that, honestly, from the WBU and coming from Argentina, which is we could say an emerging economy or less developing, less developed country, wherever you want to call it. It's something that it changed the life of all of us, especially for children. We now have the access, the right to access to books, to study, to be more independent. And I know that a few days ago, the U.S. has ratified the Marrakesh Treaty and this is, this is something that we should celebrate, not just here in the U.S., but keep in mind that through the ratification of the Marrakesh Treaty here in the States, 
and because of the treaty itself, many other brothers and sisters around the world who speak English will be able to access to the magnificent and large number of books available in the States. So you cannot imagine what you have achieved, not only by ratifying the Marrakesh Treaty, because now here in the States you will be, have, you, you will be able to access to more books, but also through the Marrakesh Treaty, the U.S. and all the blind organizations here are now in a position to share with African countries, with Asian countries, with Pacific countries, the enormous efforts and the large number of books you have available here. And it's something that you should also celebrate for. Because now, through the Marrakesh implementation, you, ACB, and other organizations will contribute to improve the life of blind and partially sighted persons around the world. So thank you for that word, guys. And congratulations, congratulations, and thank you for making it possible. Um, another thing that we spend a lot of time and effort from the WBU is to promote the right to employment. We do recognize that decent jobs and employments are not a right itself, but also the breach to other rights. If we do not have a decent job, if we do not have the access to employment, we will not be able, for instance, to run a family, to uh, go and be become consumers, to spend money in cultural events, to go on vacations. So we are very committed to promote the right to employment, but from a very decent and according to all human rights standards. That is still a challenge. Just to give you an idea, and going back to the World Health Organization study, or report, sorry, out of one billion persons with disabilities, only 13% have a decent job. Right? So, and that, that, num that, that number is even lower if we look at developing countries or poor nations, right? So we do um, try to do our best to promote the right to employment. Again, in the U.S., there are a lot of advancements made around that. We take them to carry them out there in the entire world and try to replicate some of the good experiences you have here in other nations. Finally, and I know that we are a little bit behind schedule and I'm sure we will have more opportunities to interact and to discuss, the World Blind Union is very committed to work around accessibility. Because again, the Article number nine on the CRPD convention, the Convention on the Right of Persons with Disability, it's about accessibility. But we do understand that accessibility is not just a right, a human right, a fundamental human right, 
but also it's a way to ensure that, for instance, we can access to movies, we can just decide where we want to go for our next vacations, we can decide what to buy in a shopping center or wherever. So we are very committed to ensure that when we talk about accessibility, it's not just a ramp. It's not just about a braille sign on an elevator, but it's also the right to access to information, to books, to manuals, to shopping malls, and many other facilities, even can be private or public, airports, sports centers, and museums, for example. So we do have a committee that is specifically working around accessibility, and again, since we represent the entire global community of blind and partially sighted persons, we do have to consider different contexts, especially in less developed countries like Asians, Africans, or Latin Americans. Let me finalize by saying that we do have a strategic plan that you can access to through visiting our website, but what I would like to uh, address here as the most important message, and I will be more than glad to discuss with you bilaterally, that I've been here this morning hearing all the presentations, but what I'm taking away from here is the deep commitment that you all have to promote the rights of persons with disabilities and to ensure that you do your best to improve the quality of life we all live. And this is something that is very important for the WBU. And this is, I believe, the most important contribution that ACB family can make to the rest of the world. Because when I look at you guys and see what you are doing and see how fun you are having here and see how you can get all together and discuss what you want as the future... I think this is the best, important, and more exciting example that I can take as a new executive director to spread out in the other organizations around the world. So rather than saying thank you for the opportunity that uh, ACB has given me to speak here, I would say thank you for the amazing experience I will take from the ACB convention to make sure that our brothers and sisters around the world can somehow and someday do something similar to what you guys are doing here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jose. Thank you. Thank you, Jose. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. He's going to be a multicultural. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Isn't Jose fantastic? Isn't the World Blind Union going to be in good hands for at least the next decade with Mr. Jose Vieira? Woo! And, you know, since we invited Jose here to ACB, we're not letting him off with a, with, with a free lunch. He's going to have to work for his food. So he will be at the Multicultural Affairs Luncheon today at 1215 in uh, New York Central. 
But he's not done after that. Tomorrow morning, he will be at the BRL International Breakfast at 7 o'clock in New York Central. Hopefully, he'll get to go back to his room and rest in between. And then, not, not, not last but not least, he will be at the Voices Around the World Luncheon at 12.15 tomorrow in Regency B. So there'll be lots of opportunities. Please, if you see Jose or hear him, say hello. And in Hawaii, you could even say aloha, right, Hawaii? Yeah, all right. All right, next, we're going to hear, we're gonna hear from, um, we have a really special occasion coming up. It's the 50th anniversary of the Randolph Shepherd Vendors uh, of America. So our affiliate's been around for 50 years. We have Dan Sippel from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, at first the president of RSVA, and Artis Bazin from Berkeley, California, the second vice president of RSVA. But first, Berkeley. What did I say? Burbank. Burbank. I'm sorry, Burbank. Burr, wrong Burr. Burbank. But before I introduce him, I would like us all, get your singing voices on. Are we ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, RSVA. Happy birthday to you. Here's Dan and Arden. All right, here's the mic right there. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. All right, you got it. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. That, that is just a totally unexpected. Um, but I'd just like to personally welcome each and every of you to our 50th anniversary of Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America. And we are extremely proud and privileged to have the American Council of Blind ACB as our partner throughout the entire process. Thank you much. With that, I'm going to let Artis Bazin, who has a much more pleasant voice than mine, give you a little background on what we uh, like to see RSVA do. Artis? Okay. Um First, I'd like to find out, uh, were you able to get the audio set? Rick? Um, they were going to play an audio segment. Audio for RSVA? The audio segment for RSVA, were you able? Oh, okay. Well, sh shall I just go? Okay, I'll go ahead and talk then <laughs> while they're setting that up. Okay. Uh, Randolph Shepard Vendors of America was created to promote the Randolph Shepard program. Um, how many of you people actually know what Happy the Randolph Shepard program? Oh, okay. I'll pause. I'll pause. <laughs> it went away. Happy 50th anniversary. Randolph Shepard Vendors of America. Blind businessmen and women building a better America. The Durward K. McDaniel Legal Defense Fund has funded actions defending the Randolph Shepard priority. RSBA's legislative efforts have stopped dangerous legislation detrimental to the Randolph Shepard priority on roadside rest areas. RSVA and ACB made significant comments on DOD rulemaking. RSVA efforts led to President Barack Obama signing the first ever presidential memorandum on Randolph Shepard. RSVA led lawsuits protecting the Randolph Shepard Act priority for military dining. 
For the past 50 years, RSVA has assisted states with legislative issues. RSVA initiated a report for the Help Committee when questions arose. RSVA works to revitalize the Randolph Shepard program. RSVA supported the passing of the Kennelly Amendment, requiring Randolph Shepard priority at roadside rest areas. RSVA gave input for the Randolph Shepard Amendments written in 1972. RSVA provides the Sagebrush National BEP Training Conference, the annual National RSVA Conference and Convention. The RSVA quarterly publication, The Vendor Scope, promoting a positive image of blind vendors. The RSVA website, with the latest legislation or regulations affecting blind vendors. State and national conferences and business resources. Access to the ACB National Office's resource and information giving input on blindness issues. Legal consultation on implementation of the Randolph Shepard Act. And monitoring of legislative and regulatory bodies. Happy 50th anniversary, RSVA. And many happy returns. Okay, how many of you are aware of what the Randolph Shepard program is? How many of you do not really know what it's all about? There's a few, okay. <laughs> well, RSVA is all about promoting the Randolph Shepard program and the act itself and helping to improve it in all the states. And we welcome state affiliates to invite RSVA to come and speak at your affiliate conventions so we can convey to your members and visitors what the Randolph Shepard program is all about and how people can get involved in the Randolph Shepard program. Many states are looking for new vendors. And many of our vendors throughout the country are getting older and ready to retire. So we need to have new vendors coming forward. We encourage you to come and speak with us at any time if you want to learn more about the Randolph Shepard Act, learn how you can help us to get more vendors involved, and also help us to promote the cause. Because there's always significant legislation trying to curb what we can do and get us away from being able to serve military dining, etc. So we welcome your efforts to work with us to improve the Randolph Shepard program and help us to spread the word. Thank you very much. I would just like to recap with, um, I probably, many of you heard this one in the past, but my two-minute, I call it my two-minute elevator speech. I was born and raised in Wisconsin, and by the way, I'm looking back to getting, I'm looking forward to getting back home so I can rearrange some snowflakes rather than this heat and humidity, but I was born and raised in a farm implement dealership, and my uh, dad was a blacksmith and a welder. And we sold international harvester equipment. So I was sweeping the floor when I was six, seven years old. And when I was, um, I had my first tractor accident uh, when I was seven years old. I ran over a light pole. But uh, 
and so mechanical things have always been part of my life, and, but retinitis pigmentosa was, was dominant. And I didn't know the term retinitis pigmentosa RP until I was 16 years old. I couldn't spell it, and I couldn't pronounce it at that time. But um, I worked on trucks when I was 14 years old, went to a truck shop and started washing trucks. I became a diesel mechanic. And um, from there, I, then I crushed my back. A truck tire fell on me. And um, then uh, Volk Rehab said, well, okay, you know, we can help you out. You're, you're legal blind, so the Randolph Shepherd program is available. And I had pretty good eyesight. I just couldn't see at night. And I thought, no, um, that's a good program, but uh, the totally blind need to have that more than I do. There's other, And so I continued on, and I went to work on cars because of my crushed back, became an auto service manager and so on and so forth. And I was still finding myself entrenched. I like to have greasy hands and a wrench in my hand. I was bent over the fenders with my mechanics, helping them diagnose cars. And it didn't work for my back very well. So then state of Wisconsin passed an auto repair law, and they wanted someone with automotive background experience to enforce it. So I became a white-collar crime investigator for state of Wisconsin uh, for 21 years until it got to the point when you're trying to prosecute the CEO of General Motors or Firestone that you're on the witness stand and you can't read the documents that the defense attorney hands to you. Juries don't understand limited vision, believe me. But uh, our assistant attorney generals were very good at explaining it. That's when I made my decision. It's time to, you know, let someone else uh, take on that task. So then the, the DVR come back and says, okay, Randolph Shepard program still available. You know, I, I made these transitions in employment throughout my life, and each one... I, I thought was the greatest step I could take because of my health and my eye problems. But then I, got in, I got into Randolph Shepherd program. It is the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. You know, I've been in it 19 years now, and I haven't worked a day in 19 years. It's not work when you enjoy what you're doing. And I have three daughters. All three of them graduated college because of Randolph Shepherd program. My oldest graduated summa cum laude with a master's degree in business administration, and she currently pays more in income tax than I earned in my entire life. So thank you. So please give the Randolph Shepard program a strong consideration to all your family and friends. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for your patience. All right. Again, happy birthday. Happy birthday and uh, and congratulations to RSVA. Uh, next, we're going to hear from uh, Mark Reichert and our resolutions committee with an announcement. Mark, okay, Janet's here after that. They said, make it quick. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Don't you wish? I know, I know. So help me out. Just let me get through this, guys. So as usual, we'd have to do this little reminder. If you don't get your resolution in by 9 p.m. tonight, then the train has left the station, ladies and gentlemen. And no, I'm not going to pun you to death because I can't stand that when people do that. 
But uh, in order to get it in, you have two methods. Give me a jingle at my cell phone, 571-438-7895. 571-438-7895. And if you can do a cool imitation of somebody, you'll get your call returned. Otherwise, God only knows what will happen to your call. You can email your resolution to me at mreichert at afb.net. That's M. R I C is in Charlie H E R T is in Tom at afb.net and uh, we will uh, if you get in by 9 p.m. the committee will take up your your cause and we'll take a look at it uh, if you want to come by come visit the conductor room the conductor room not <clears throat> not the caboose room not sure that there is a caboose room uh, but uh, maybe who knows maybe the caboose room would have been easier to get to I'm not entirely sure. Uh, and finally, uh, people have said, you know, uh, I, I'm not really sure how to write resolutions. Can, can, can you give me an example? So, so here's an example. Whereas a lot of people seem to be crowding the elevator banks and seem to be inserting themselves when they shouldn't be. And whereas this is annoying as hell... Now, therefore, be it resolved, if you're one of those people, move your caboose. (laughs) With that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much, and we'll be seeing you later on this week. You're done? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know if he was there or not. Jan. Thank you, Mark. I feel like I'm the caboose right now. <laughs> Next, uh, we're going to hear from Janet Dickelman, our convention coordinator. Janet. Right, take care. Thank you. Now I am. Okay. If you lost a slate, it's at the information desk. If you find a yellow sun hat, please return it to the information desk. If you want, are going to the banquet, banquet tables are of eight. Stop by the information desk. We need the names of all eight people at the table and a table name such as the Missouri table number 73. And... Um, Give that information to Vicki at the information desk, and she'll give you your table number. Uh, tonight at the ACB Cafe is Mexican night. Uh, your dinner option for $10 is a choice of beef or chicken tacos. You get two tacos with all the toppings and Spanish rice. If you have an appointment with the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, they will be in Dixie Flyer. If you have an appointment with J.P. Morgan and Chase, they will be in Meteor. If uh, all the Microsoft sessions, there was a misprint in the calendar and or program, all the Microsoft sessions are in Grand A. That was a move, and it just didn't get in the program for all the sessions. This afternoon, we have an LDS uh, Meeting at 2 p.m. in Cannonball, and that's all that I have for right now. Thank you. Thank you, Janet. All right, we now uh, we're now going to turn it over. If anybody has any quick announcements, we'll take three or four announcements. So head to the mics. Yes, Ray. Turn me on. Okay. Turn me on. I'm not even answering Council of the Blind hat here. You want to win money and, and go into the fall with money? Then participate in the Illinois Council of the Blind Summer Raffle. 
Tickets are $5 each or five tickets for $20. You can purchase, you can only purchase them online by going to www.icbonline.org forward slash summer dash raffle. Last year, the winner of this raffle won over $500. If you get in, that pot's going to be bigger. It's a 50-50 raffle. Half goes to the winner and half goes to the Illinois Council of the Blind. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Uh, Rick, we're going to play the DELT video as people exit following the announcements. So it's only two, the trailer, it's only two minutes, not the whole DELT video. No. Okay. So uh, next announcement. Uh, Mr. Chairman. Identify yourself, please. Well. It, the, mic, the mic's hissing. Right. There, it's, it's finally live. Who is it? Okay, it's up now. Okay. Thank you. This is John Huffman. Hey, I have John. A, I have a brief announcement from the Constitution and Bylaws Committee. I want to let the body know that uh, we have received three amendments, proposals. They were all in hand in time to be considered at our um, Friday afternoon meeting. Therefore, there will not be a meeting this Sunday afternoon. The deadline for submissions is midnight tonight. And if someone has a, a, a constitution proposal to, to get to the committee, they can send it to me and my address, my email address is j73.huffman, H-U-F-F-M-A-N, at comcast.net. Also, if I can take just a quick word uh, for people planning to attend the AAVL luncheon that is in the um, Jeffersonian Knickerbocker room and we'll, we'll start fairly shortly. And finally, Ray Campbell, if you're around, I need just a minute of your time. Thank you. Thank you, John. Ray's right up front at the podium. Okay. Next announcement. We'll take two more. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Microphone and, and microphone and please identify yourself. Okay, this is a recommendation to turn up the volume tomorrow on assisted listening devices. Thank you. We, we heard you. <laughs> Any other announcements? Yes. Okay, please this identify is, yourself. This is Darian Slayton Fleming. Hello, uh, Darian. Go ahead. Hello. Um, I um, just want to let you know that uh, my chapter of the ACB of Oregon is selling 2019 okay. calendars featuring photos of some of us using various forms of transportation because we're on the move and they are $15 if you would like one. And I'm sitting in the Oregon delegation every day. All right, very good. Thank you, Darian. Question about the nominating committee. It is at 545 today in Regency B, right across the way here from this grand ballroom. Downstairs here, Regency B. All right, one more announcement. Dan, this yes. is Alan Peterson. Alan Peterson, please. I have raffle tickets for sale. They're really cheap, and uh, they're only $50. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, five people can go in on, on one ticket for $10 a piece, or two people could go in on for $25. So see me. I often sell a winning ticket. 
Alan Peterson has sold the winning ticket, I believe, two times, so please go see Alan to get a raffle ticket. I also want to announce real quickly that the monthly monetary support MMS table is open. It's at booth five next to the mini mall. Uh, anybody who increases their donation by a minimum of $5 or becomes a new MMS member puts their name in the hat for an Amazon Fire and an accessible TV to go along with it. Also, there will be $100 worth of door prizes every day. Each, each day we'll draw a winner for any new uh, people who join MMS that particular day. So that's in booth five in the exhibit hall. And also, if you don't have those auction items in yet, see Kim Abair and uh, take your auction items to information. The auction will be Tuesday night in Regency A, B, and C with lots of goodies. We'll talk more about that as the week goes along. And with that said, thank you all for a wonderful morning. And let's have Rick take us out with the trailer for Delt. That movie is going to show tonight at 8 o'clock in Midway 6. It'll be audio described. Richard Turner will be there. Following that will be the audio described episode of NCIS with Mary Lee Tarkington, the actress in Sight Unseen. Look forward to seeing everybody tonight and have a wonderful afternoon. Okay, we're going to go ahead and sign off now because we are running late on getting some things on to the next deal. Uh, tune in to ACB Radio Live event at 2.45 p.m. Central Time this afternoon. We will be carrying the Rehab and Special Ed Task Force uh, workshop, and that will go till 5.30 this evening. We'll have a replay of today's session up in the next uh, hour, and it'll also be on the podcast feed, uh, acbradio.org forward slash acb-convention.xml. That's the URL you can plug in with your podcatching device, and... If you just want to view it as a normal web page, you can just drop the .xml off the end of that URL, and it will show as a normal web page where you can download the archives manually. With that, I'm out of here, and we'll talk to you this afternoon. <laughs>